and the Ukraine article. Love Talk Radio. Yeah, yeah. 
and we would like to welcome him to welcome Brother Aki. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamaki Mishoki, Colonel with African Awareness. And Brother Africa, of course, you know my thing is institution building. But I got to tell you, Brother Africa, one of the things, you know, I, I find extraordinary, you know, in the society is, is this, this, this uh, correlation between the information that we receive via the media and the propensity to present it in a way which is very paternalistic. So this kind of uh, uh, ethos which says that, you know, you must treat the American people as children manifests itself in terms of news dissemination in society. So I think it's a very interesting phenomenon. So I thought I'd just write a little bit about, you know, some of my thoughts in terms of this whole question around the media and paternalism. I think you'll find someone extraordinary. But anyway, listen to this. Now, political control, control over, over various institutions have often been cast as the catalyst behind social control of the populace, but little consideration is given to the media's ability to formulate messaging that impacts our consciousness. In fact, President Ronald Reagan's executive order ended the fairness doctrine, which obligated media to, to, prevent, to pre- present both sides of an issue. With the elimination of the fairness doctrine, white-wing philosophy will rule the public airways, but just as importantly, media programming will carry programming themes that would reinforce a paternalistic perspective in which government would become the parent or arbiter of truth with a focus on entertaining the populace. Often such messaging or events are crafted in a way to impact the subconsciousness without any awareness on our part such condition is taking place. The ramifications of such conditioning, much like propaganda, engulf every aspect of life, complicating any resolution to common problems that exist in society. Unlike propaganda that, ex- that exists specifically to shape human perception, day-to-day simulation of news often encompasses the mundane, mundane excuse me, with fixation on maximizing profits and entertainment. In the process of acquiring wealth, messages or events are presented as casual viewing in interest to society. It is when we review these casual events or messaging that we recognize the confluence between propaganda and media programming impact on people's views. For example, recently, Government DeSantos of Florida made a speech in which he stated, quote, no one questions slavery until the American Revolution, end quote. In other words, after the signing of the Declaration of Independence in 1776. The implication of the statement being, the original 13 colonies had discovered Americans were endowed with inalienable rights and that we are all created equal. What was conveniently omitted was, enslaved Africans were not considered American nor equal. The Santos' statement, no one questioned slavery, stands in sharp contrast to the 1.5 million Africans who lost their lives opposing slavery at the beginning of of the institution in the U.S., Resistance to the institution of slavery is still resistant by Africans and mutiny aboard slave ships. Two ships, the New Britannia, 1773, and the Amistad, 1839, witnessed resistance to slavery in which strategies were implemented directly to confront enslavers, resulting in mass casualties on both sides. <clears throat> Notions of the Declaration of Independence relevance to the lives of African people prove irrelevant. In fact, after the, the signing of the Declaration of Independence in 1776, slavery persisted. According to Dr. Karen Wolf, resistance to end slavery were muted by political reforms like the Atlantic Slave Trade Prohibition that served public relations interests rather than banning slavery in the states. This weak measure was followed by a weaker measure called the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. 
As part of and compromise, the Fugitive Slave Act would allow California to enter the Union as a state not validating slavery. In turn, any enslaved African who escaped to, to a free state or anywhere else must be returned to the place the escape occurred. The Santos' ability to overlook an inconvenient history in no small part is attributable to the demands of his political base. But the level of ease disseminating that this distorted history underscores a propensity that long preceded his time as a politician. The general American ethos that holds Africans are not Americans or their lives are inconsequential is reflected in the callousness reflected in his words and the power of the unconscious mind to validate ignorance in the face of being self-assured. Now, despite the level of historical association and ethnic insensitivity, his statements were presented by media as valid storytelling and not religionist history propagating the worst kind of racism. Now, news, news, that presented, excuse me, news that presented as commonplace often have, have the feel of children's games, games that are erected to maximize cerebral functioning, but games that reinforce the notion of the world as simplistic and juvenile. Mindful of this, of, of this fact, politicians often speak to their constituents like eighth-grade children. This awareness of messages is by politicians endemic. Messages designed to convey ideas on a very superficial level begs the question, what kind of education system will produce tens of millions of adults comfortable with being treated like children but yet so unaware? <coughs> Inevitably, treating adults as children will fail to enter entertainment, starting with commercials that sell us dreams of what life could be if we consume their products, to sports shows that teaches us to lionize athletes at the expense of other professions. The message of infantilization, infantilization or childlike imaging is a constant theme embedded in entertainment. Now, some individuals disparage consumer culture, but Alan Moore, control, excuse me, creator of watching service, goes a step further. In the, in, indicting the comic book industry and the emergence of super, superhero movies appeal to adults. Quote, entertainment historically intended for 12-year-old boys is now metastasized into a billion-dollar industry with millions of adults queuing to see movies like Batman, lacking any resemblance to reality, end quote. More reason implicit in this childlike escape from reality lies a childlike response to very complex and intricate issues confronting society. Implicit in his denunciation of adults' fervor for children's entertainment is the potential that these same adults search for simpler times or simpler realities may prime them to support fascism. His concern seems sound. Fascism offers quick solutions to complex problems and the notion one powerful individual can resolve the country's problems ironically mimics the abilities of superheroes. Now, recently, the media has been promulgating Taylor Swift is under Twitter attack because her latest video allegedly fat-shamed. The notion, the notion standard of beauty can be reduced to size isn't in itself juvenile. Media attempt to en enhance her platform while stimulating a bogus debate on standards of beauty is another one of those misdirections conflating fitness with desirability. If we buy into this idea, we not only relegate those not being undesirable, but it compels us to see beauty in an immature way. Adults understand true beauty is not on the outside but on the inside. Attempts to condition the populace to think and act like children is a design we must reject. If we don't repudiate media messaging, we cannot be surprised when many of us behave less like adults and a minimum understanding of how U.S. society is organized. On second thought, perhaps, this is precisely the intent, and I close with that, Brother Africa. 
Thank you, Brother Haki. Said I to me, Brother Haki. Some people would say the enemy got a mind. You know how do we say we look here? Man, I take your mind. Sound like they took our mind. But anyway, we'll come back to that later. Let's continue down the road toward liberation by bringing in our next political panelist and analyst, Brother Moses. And we would like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I introduced, I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. I bear witness that women hold up half the sky and that equal rights amendments should be passed, E-R-A-E-S. And uh, we don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I believe we need to unite the many to defeat the few, and that's a lot easier said than done, but we must overcome our differences and stay focused on the prize of scientific socialism. And I'll end with that. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses, we will go to Sister Eleanor. And we would like to welcome her to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. Good evening, Brother Africa, and to fellow panelists and our listeners in the United States and abroad. My name is Eleanor Johnson. I'm an environmentalist, an artist, and an educator. My focus is on Mother Earth. She needs our help for our survival. As the opening song on this show always talks about human love, human love should be an expression of love for Mother Earth in recycling. Right now across the Sahara and the Southern Hemisphere, People who contribute nothing to this global crisis are suffering. Animals are dying. Our vegetation is lost. The United States itself is in the heat of a major drought that is being ignored because, as Brother Haki said, news is being simplified. And as Ronald Reagan did with his legislative change in the United States, no longer is that truth and justice required in journalism. It is biased and often uh, a tool for propaganda, promoting special interests. Thank you for having me on the show this evening, and I look forward to an exciting and educational show as always. Thank you once again for allowing my participation. Good evening to everyone. And good evening to you, Sister Eleanor. We thank you for being present today. And at this point in time, we're going to take a pause for the calls. We're going to go on a revolutionary culture break. And when we come back, we're going to have a political panelist analyst to talk about what's going on now, world, and the community. And we will invite you to do the same. If you would like to share what's going on in your world and the community, we encourage you to call 323 Six seven nine, zero eight four one. Hit one, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. 
So we're going to continue down this road of liberation when we return as we discuss what's going on in your world and the community. Call you for and join us. We'll be right back. When I drop the mic, it hit the floor like Thor. That's right. You can't pick it up no more. Don't even try. Y'all know what it is. Y'all know what it was. Y'all know what it shall be. Get smart for the shit start. Before it get dark, before they hit you with the pitchfork, better crib walk, crib walk, real talk, smoke, push, and push, then we peel off. Niggas still running with the wheels off, always looking out for the crisscross. I'm a bigger boss than Rick Ross, always winning, nigga get lost. It's the warlord, bring the voodoo. When I bail through, it's crazy like Bellevue. What they tell you, leave that boy alone, like home alone. Fuck a skull and bone, arrest the president, you got the evidence. That nigga is Russian intelligence. When it rains, it pours, did you know the new pipe was orange? Boy, you're showing your horns, they trying to replace my halo with thorns. You so basic with your vape sticks, let's go ape shit in the matrix. Arrest the president, arrest the president, arrest the president, you got the evidence. Arrest the president, arrest the president, arrest the president, you got the evidence. I took back my eyes, and all black tonight, that's right, some niggas gotta sacrifice. Not a criminal, no, I'm a seminal, yeah. I was free once, now I'm clinical. You so technical, this was Mexico, now everywhere I go is owned by Texico. Fuck them, fuck them and the rest of you. I turn a phone to a back I'm a roll with the aliens. Man, fuck these homo sapiens. They don't really wanna make friends. All they want is a Mercedes Benz. All they want is they dividends and decibels. Fuck these citizens. They'll treat us like hooligans. Throw him in, they don't care what school he in. These people don't play fair. It ain't even fair at the state fair. Give a young nigga gray hair, that's why I'm here. Make your ass lay there. You better stay there. Close your fucking eyes like a daycare. Make myself clearer than Shakespeare. I'm here to take money, even fake hair. So desperate is what I'm left with. For the record, you affected. Who you elected is so septic, so full of shit. I can't accept it. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. I reside on the west side. I murder with my third eye. Nigga so fly, get a bird's eye. I make him scream bloody murder. Let's meet at the White House. Run in and turn the lights out. Man, they treat it like a trap house. These motherfuckers never take the trash out. They just cash out and mash out. Nigga, take your drugs and pass out. Niggas love to go that fast route. I see you when your black ass get out. Homie, you play too much. Why these devils, they doing way too much. Most of them won't say too much. Why they steady planning? God knows what. That's why I roll with the real ones. Real ones, trying to reach millions. Real ones, trying to make billions. Real ones, dressed like civilians. 
Malcolm Malcolm on Twitter featuring Napoleon the legend. What if Mara had Twitter and all that civil rights talk, man, I wouldn't want to hear it. This integration been disintegrating. Better off in our own ghettos with our own situation. His last speech got him assassinated. Black business was booming. It wasn't just a consumer. Controlling our narrative. We have more marriages. And see what the damage did. They ain't that bad a bitch. And welfare did it's way worse than the slavery. I'll never be an agent. I don't care what they pay me. Seem like Nip had the same old story. If we pay a black hater, tell a different allegory. Like Pearl Harbor and 9-11 was the mystery. Supremacy will go the extent to keep their history alive. All I'm saying, if these leaders was alive, alive. who be on the internet trying to divide? divide. Use a hotel hustler, uh. trying to fear people of that low vibe structure. Agree to disagree, and we ain't gotta tear our own down. Argue in silence, or forever be our own downfall. All I wanna say is that we're giving it away. Soul ain't for sale, and the devil is a fake. Argue with the silence, but don't let it steal our faith. Hide behind doors, but don't ever show our face. Cause if mom had Twitter, Malcolm had Twitter. It be our own people do the trolling. She be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Cause Simone had Twitter. And Malcolm had Twitter. It be our own people do the trolling. She be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Sometimes the key to life you looking for be right in front of you. Tried to show my man hidden colors, he said nothing new. I said, what if we've been lied to most of our freaking lives? Every year coming tonight, and you ain't speaking right, your arrogance precedes you. What if your faith did? I spoke to God on Wednesday, he said most of it's basic. Million dollar mindset to be flying, stay hungry. Hieroglyphic writing on walls you couldn't take from me. A man lay dead in the street today. I must have hung my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. I want to get high today. Who got five on my little bundle of temporary? Man, I want to live long enough to be legendary. Your statistics said by now that I'm going to be dead and buried. But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already. And I'm march for our rights, that civil, the same purpose. Two different tribes and we fighting the same person. Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us. Cosmic companionship sustained me after my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength to make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work. A man lay dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. We'd like to we'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. As we come back from our rubber culture break, we're going to entertain what's going on in your world and the community. 
if you'd like to join the segment to share with us what's going on in your world and the community, please call in at 323-679-0841. Hit 1, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. So right now, our political panelists and analysts stay in the seat. They're going to take the heat because as they define it, they're going to stand behind it. As Malcolm tell you, we might not give you what you want, but we're going to do our damn best to try to give you what you need. So with that backdrop, Brother Haki, come and kick some ballistic to our listening audience. What's going on in your world and the community, Brother Haki? Well, Brother Africa, I have to talk a little bit about um, the kind of uh, manipulation that takes place in the context of the political system here in America, well, throughout the world, actually. And one of the things, you know, that's, that's, that is so ironic is that when you talk about manipulation of the masses of people, certainly there's this position uh, that just opposed this notion that, you know, humanity is, in fact, some type of, we're, we're essentially some type of pawns, and that we can be used and abused and, and manipulated in such a way as to create, you know, uh, you know various uh, right-wing movements in society, uh, you know, for political purposes. And it's clearly... When you look at the history in terms of using humanity as political pawns, uh, the government has been very successful in terms of in terms of actually achieving that end. But in event, Brother Africa, I want you to check this out. Now, recently, an article entitled Homeland Security Admits It Tried to Manipulate Fake Terrorists for Trump informs a long history of government deception and the targeting of the left in an attempt to discredit claims of systematic inequality. The article states the Department of Homeland Security initiated an operation to ensnare hundreds, if not thousands, of protesters protesting the death of George Floyd. Now, in the beginning stage of the operation, had acting Department of Homeland Security Chief Chad Wolf amassed secret dossiers dossiers on citizens in Portland, Oregon. These dossiers would consist of no activists and family and friends as a basis for the justification of illegal government activity by spying on citizens in opposition to the U.S. Constitution. Department of Homeland Security officials were instructed to generate, in fact, manufactured financial connections between protesters in order to create the perception a terrorist conspiracy laid behind the protest. Focus of the operation was not exclusively to discredit protests, but to enhance Trump's chances of re-election. Trump often wailed the Democratic Party endorsed terrorists and by arbitrarily arresting protesters in a media narrative parroting Department of Homeland Security talking points of, of violent Antifa anarchists, anarchists, perceptions will be solidified in the minds of Trump's political base as well as right-leaning Democrats. Trump is uniquely qualified to fight terrorism when others stood by and did nothing. Now, the conspiratorial nature of the, uh, the conspiratorial nature of circumventing the Constitution was quite evident. Trump's Executive Order 13933 was issued specifically for law enforcement to apprehend anarchists and left-wing extremists protesting George Floyd's murder but it focused on apprehending those who vandalized U.S. monuments commemorating slave owners and Confederates. There's a certain genius in the manner the executive order was elucidated. While the executive order initially conflated protests with terrorism, it subsequently conflated civil disobedience with terrorism, meaning those who see the U.S. government as unjust are inherently terrorists. Specifically, Trump is referring to the African people whether actively engaged in defacing statues or in proximity to vandalism. The level of terrorism is attached, confirming in the minds of many on the right that African expression of being free is synonymous with terrorism. Now, while, now why would Trump resort to an old strategy 
under the playbook of fascist politics. In a word, it works. Historically, Athens have been characterized as a threat to the national, natu- national order. During the colonial era, enslaved Africans were, were, were perceived as a threat to the national order because emotionally and psychologically we were imbalanced according to scientific literature. However, social critique discredited such views, and individuals like Frederick Douglass, Alexis de, Co- de Tocqueville, reasoned emotional psychological instability was the main of the individuals who prospered from a wicked system and not the other way around. Compelled to elicit more ingenious ways to define Africans as an existential threat, the government, specifically the intelligence community, codified into law any expression of African freedom, even constitutional packet, will be seen as a threat. In the 60s, counter care pro was used to disrupt and discredit progressive organizations with overwhelming focus on African organizations. In the 70s, raggedy industrial and corrupt act, or the RICO Act statutes, originally legislated to combat organized crime, in other words, the mafia, government corruption, and white-collar and drug offenses. Instead, RICO statutes have been used against African males even when the elements to proceed with RICO are not present. This is particularly the case for African revolutionaries. Currently, RICO is being used, weaponized against rappers, specifically those in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, of all the strategies employed, employed RICO statutes, it is interesting, despite Trump's many legal and or corrupt transgressions, not a single lawmaker has raised the specter of trying Trump on the RICO statutes. Perhaps this hesitancy has something to do with the high conviction rate on the RICO. RICO allows prosecutors and government agencies to withhold exculpatory information that can demonstrate innocence, while at the same time interjecting to trial information seemingly unrelated if it shows a pattern of criminality. Trump will be perfect for RICO, RICO charges, but apparently they are reserved for real enemies of the state. Now, no government policy is more emblematic of real enemies of the state than the designation of black identity extremists, BIE. And this took place in 2017. BIE holds any African aware of systematic inequality, whether involved in protests or not, is by definition a terrorist. Implicit in this concept lies rudimentary racism, which is at the heart of capitalism. The assumption that any African capable of extrapolation or understanding the role of institutions is performing a tax too complex for African people should be in the front to, con- to the conscious human beings everywhere. During the January 6th insurrection, white right-wing protesters decried income disparity, declining wages, and the perceived economic threats to the white working class future. Insurrectionists and analysts, analysts, analysts were not viewed as terroristic, nor were their views perceived as announcing the government. Their views were perceived by the powerful as rational critique simply conveying economic reality corroborated by lacking economic indicators. So when Africans decry the same economic reality, why are dispersions cast upon Africans? It was this critique that compelled the FBI to reconsider, reconsider the BIE and the racial implications of this program. Did Director Ray inspire surveillance of Africans practicing their First Amendment rights? No. The program simply changed its name from BIE to Iron Fist in 2019. Iron fist implies breaking down the hand forcibly to make a point. Perhaps that point is Africans are characterized as potential terrorists because the needs of social political institutions requires it and capitalism demands it. Little wonder Congress opposing designated right-wing whites as potential terrorists but are willing to support any measure that castigates Africans as a threat. The bottom line is Trump almost pulled it off unjustly and incarcerated a large number of progressives for exercising First Amendment rights. 
let's not deceive ourselves. Similar ideas will be utilized in the future. All I can say to everyone is stay vigilant. And I close with that, Brother Africa. You know, Brother Haki, again, Brother Malcolm said it clearly, history is best to reward those who research and listen to what you have just stated. We, from time to time, constantly raise the question among African oppressed people here in the U.S. and throughout. Particularly when you look at this history here, one, the state viewed African people as an enemy to the state. Under capitalism, the question must be constantly raised. Do they view us as having the right to exist? And above all, do they really not see us as if we are immature little children? Because some of the things they say in the media just outright will make you wonder how could they respect us based upon the crazy thing they just openly say now and don't have to worry about no kind of consequences. We thank you for your report. We just want to give the people a little something to think about. Next, we'll go to Brother Moses, the one who parted the sea. Brother Moses, come and talk to us. What's going on in your world and the community? The mic is yours. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Um, I, I injured my knee on Friday, and so I wasn't able to get into D.C. for the D.C. Metropolitan Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution caravan. There was a caravan this weekend uh, in support of the Cuban Revolution and and against the blockade, the end of the blockade, to try to put out information and convince people that they need to support the Cubans. Uh, then there was also... Uh, 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 Answer Coalition sponsored a, a, a forum in uh, New York uh, in the, trying to end the, the war in Ukraine um, to um, to put out information about the situation in Ukraine and to convince people that they should be against NATO and, and uh, that the that the U.S. should end the war in Ukraine and stop supporting the Ukrainians. Uh, meanwhile, white supremacy uh, um, is alive and well, and uh, it's, it's doctrine, indoctrination is to castigate and um, render impotent black fem- black males uh, and. Um, you know, we have to be on guard because uh, it's a psychological warfare that uh, that attempts to to disempower black males and black people in general. But it's, it's strictly acute with black males, as we see with uh, the, all the propaganda around Kyrie Irving and, and uh, Kanye West and others. Um, there's a lot going on uh, in terms of um, the elections and and uh, the, the the race in Georgia um, with Herschel Walker. Uh, hopefully, he will be defeated. Uh, anyway, I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. 
Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses, we're going to go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, this week, um, as Brother Moses said, was the caravan, and due to uh, a hospitalization, I was unable to participate. But the important thing is that, as I've often discussed since the November 2020 election, 39 states had passed um, voter suppression laws, and it had a tremendous impact on the midterms, literally uh, tens of thousands of people uh, in Texas and, and Georgia and, and throughout this country were unable to vote, or if they voted, their votes weren't counted. So we see the importance of voting, and only African Americans depend on the Voter Rights Act to be reaffirmed every uh, couple of decades to continue their right to exercise the vote. So we see this happening. And um, we also see that more and more information is leaking out about the racist war that the U.S. and the United Kingdom uh, have been forging against Russia. In 2014, when there was a legitimate election, the U.S. struggled to overthrow that president and to replace him with Zelensky. Zelensky and white nationalists vigorously attacked the people in the Donbass region, the people of Kiev, and killed thousands of them. Pushkin chose not to intervene, thinking that it could be resolved. It was conference held with France Germany and Russia signed an agreement, a peace agreement, in 2014 or thereabouts. But the Ukraine, who also signed, chose not to honor it. With the weapons that were provided by the U.S. and the United Kingdom, the first week of the February 24th invasion, literally, 10,000 Russians were killed. And uh, Pushkin has maintained restraint. But this is a dangerous event to expand NATO. Uh, NATO was invented to control the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union has not existed since 1991. If the Ukraine becomes an independent nation and the people who voted just last month to retrocede from the Ukraine and rejoin Mother Russia and the Donbass and the coastal regions along the Black Sea, we'll see more murder, more death, and um, continuous, continuous expansion of a fascist movement like we have not seen since Hitler. Now, uh, thank God uh, and the voters in Brazil that Bolsonaro was voted out. We see there's been a progressive election in Colombia. 
But the important thing to follow up on Brother Moses and uh, Brother Haki on Brother Moses was the fact that over 60 nations uh, voted to end the embargo against Cuba recently. In addition, um, taking away the right to true journalism, as Brother Haiki spoke of, has caused a backward growth in this country with social media being what it stand, as it stands. And the purchaser of Twitter, Elon Musk, the world is putting the world in danger when you saw last week black organizations like uh, African organizations like the NAACP and others begging him not to allow people who killed and murdered Africans in Buffalo in a church in the South and Jewish people and children in Texas to allow them on the platform or Donald Trump. So we see there is a great struggle to combat fascism. Social imperialism is bad enough, but when you have an imperialist nation on a decline and you see people like uh, Youngkin in um, Virginia winning an election on teaching critical race theory to children in elementary school when children do not learn history in elementary school. You see the impact of fascism. He can use four or five words and people believe these things and act aggressively. So so we see this as a real problem. And um, what we're hoping is that, what I'm hoping is that (laughs) um, more people will organize and that um, they will stand up and realize, um, even though it's a reform, the importance of voting. See that there's now a crisis with the COVID vaccine and that scientists are saying we need to find other ways than another booster because it may not be effective And now for the first time, they're really examining who died of COVID in the U.S. So we see good things happening, and uh, this is what's been going on in my world. The impact of the voter suppression laws on the midterm races, allowing voter deniers, and people like Taylor Green, cult members from the QAnon, to move up in Congress, stifling our nation, stifling the United States potentially. And um, that that's about it. This is also adding to the environmental crisis because these people are also anti-global warming. All right. Thank you so much for letting thank me share so my thoughts. Thank you, Sir Eleanor. Panelists and to our listening audience, I'd like to I would like to raise this question to you and get your response. If you listen to the program, you're on the board, you'd like to respond, please hit one. Now this is my question. What have you learned or what have you gathered from this recent midterm election? What do you take away from this? Mikey, what's your your perspective on this? 
Well, I, I think there's no question, you know, that women were pretty upset about, you know, the government's attempt, at least the Republican Party's attempt, to take away their right to regulate their own bodies. So I think that manifests itself in terms of, you know, females turning out and actually voting, you know, uh, Democratic. So I think that speaks a lot in terms of, you know, uh, interest as a particular uh, impacts, you know, impacts women. I think also there were those who, who who legitimately understand, both on the left and the right, who legitimately understood that the Republican Party represented a, a, a existential threat, uh, you know, uh, you know, to the longevity of the society. So I think in that context, it would be an understanding that, you know, if in fact fascism wins out, then the, the bottom line is there are really no winners. And I think people sort of figured that out, and they, they rejected the Republicans. Now, I haven't said that, Brother Africa. I think one of the things we, we, we have to be very, very cognizant of is that, you know, even though uh, the uh, the Democrats did well overall, the bottom line is that when we talk about, you know, concretely, you know, bringing into existence uh, those kinds of laws, those kind of policies, which are the, in the interest of the masses of people that that truly empower the masses of people, uh, have not been forthcoming, and I don't anticipate them to be forthcoming. Uh, the bottom line is that, you know, uh, you know, there's not a great deal of difference between Republicans and Democrats, and that's the bottom line. I think the the, the I think that the fact that the the House is now uh, majority Republican, and they stated the uh, their their focus is to undermine body at every turn, and certainly. My position is that they're probably going to create havoc, you know, in terms of political process, and they're going to frustrate the, the weak Democrats uh, who refuse to take a stand on anything uh, to ensure that uh, decent uh, policy to the extent that it does have some imp- positive impact on the mass of the people will not materialize. Uh, so clearly, uh, Brother Africa, I think in this particular case, you know, identity politics uh, prevailed. But unfortunately, you know, uh, in order for us to, to, to eradicate uh, this systematic inequality, systematic uh, uh, plunder, you know, of the masses of people, then we need systemic change. And that's that's not going to happen in terms of voting, uh, you know, identity politics. We have to fundamentally understand that you had a system in place, a capital system in place, which ensures the um, the vitality, uh, the interest of a small cobble, cobble of, 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 of individual, wealthy individuals who control and dictate what goes on in society. And as long as we have that kind of setup where a small number of people control the entire society, then the bottom line is that those, pe- those small number of people in, in positions of control are continuing to perpetuate policies and the laws which are into their interest. And so in that context, we understand that uh, identity politics is not going to take us where we, uh, where we need to be. But I do appreciate at least that women in the society, by and large, were offended by this notion that, in fact, <clears throat> you know, that, uh, that, that some systems want to tell them, whether or not to have children. So in that regard, I was very, very pleased. Thank you, Brother Hackey. Brother Moses, what can you conclude or take from this midterm election? What's your take, Brother Moses? Thank you. Thank you, Brother. I thought Brother Hackey did a pretty good analysis of the situation. Uh, um, you know, until there's a revolution, there's not going to be uh, any dramatic, uh, qualitative changes. Uh, There are going to be some reforms and some tweaking of the system, uh, um, and uh, people express their interests uh, through the vote, et cetera. Um, We have to to organize and tell people the truth about the situation. Uh, um, 
and continue to organize uh, um, around that truth. And the people united will never be defeated. So if we can uh, imbue the people with a consciousness of the situation, a revolutionary consciousness, that's the only way change is going to take when the the broad masses of the people no longer will be ruled the same way and the ruling class can no longer rule the same way, then that's indicated of a need for change and the possibility of change. And uh, it's a, a whole lot of political consciousness has to be raised. We we have a lot of people who don't vote, uh, but I'm not so sure they're organized in, in terms of uh, political change. Uh, uh, but anyway... You know, the, I think the vote is important, and and uh, uh, hopefully things will take place. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And going to Sister Eleanor, your response to my question. Sister Eleanor? Well, the, the, the worst thing that happened during this election is that people did come out in the masses. But with 39 states having passed voter suppression laws, Tens of thousands of votes in each state, roughly millions of people lost their opportunity to vote. They exercised it, but without result. You saw changes in the voter applications and forms in Texas where there was a, a, a signature spot under the envelope that many people didn't sign. So ergo, they didn't sign. Their votes didn't count. You saw this uh, other shenanigans in Georgia and throughout the country, including states like Nevada, which in fact impact our native brothers and sisters, the indigenous people. So you saw voter suppression affect the um, electoral outcome during the midterms. And this was a real tragedy because those who got in were voter many of them were voter deniers. They believed the big lie. And this is what fascism is about. And it's a growing movement, and we are in a truly dangerous situation as a nation and as a world. But the United States didn't only elect a fascist. Remember, Brazil elected Bolsonaro, but he's been booted. There was an attempt to uh, uh, elect a guy in Colombia who said Hitler was the greatest mind of the 20th century. He was defeated. But the United States continues continues to support um, right-wing governments and Central America and to be um, supporting um, the wrong instead of the right. They should take a look at Diego Rivera's mural uh, with the Guatemalan president and uh, a dictator and Dulles, and all that was for the takeover of United Fruit, a guy from the CIA and his brother and attorney. So combating fascism and voters' rights and protecting voter, voters' rights and passing a permanent 
codifying a permanent voters' rights law in the United States is more important than ever right now. You know, you know, panelists, um, I would just like to get your response to this um, statement that I'm going to make. And the statement is, if the argument is that if you vote for the Democratic Party, they will deliver things based upon your interests. We're talking about the African interests. And if there was a history where the Democratic Party had both houses under their direction, and they still found ways not delivering anything in your interest, and then, then what is this, this this argument or this question about not to allow a Republican Party get in a position of domination? They sell front what they won't going to do for the African community. The Democrat Party said what they what they will do for the African community, but they have had opportunities when they had both houses, and they still didn't deliver. I I don't understand that. I've been trying to get some clarity and some understanding to that because it just seemed to me, again, while we get played, they continue to get paid. For example, every election seems like more and more money is required or is raised to host elections. These elections is causing hundreds of millions of dollars. Who is getting this money? What percentage of that money is going to African people to tell us to come out and give our soul and sweat and vote while at the same time somebody getting all of this money but it's not coming to the African community? What percentage of that money is coming to the African community? Can any of y'all make some sense out of this? I'll start with Brother Hackey. Yeah, well, it's a it's an age-old game, Brother Africa. It's all about... Uh, voting for the lesser of two evils. And since the Democrats uh, present themselves as less of an evil as compared to Republicans, of course, the, the, the idea is that we should vote for the Democrats. And unfortunately, Brother Africa, it has been very, very effective in terms of, you know, African people disproportionately, uh, you know, uh, voting for Democrats, despite when you talk about in terms of returns, uh, the, the Democrats on numerous occasions refuse to do anything that to, to, in, in the true sense of the word, empower the African community. Uh, clearly, Brother Africa, when you think about in terms of Obama's first term, that both the Senate and the House were both um, uh, 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 majority Democrats. But despite that time, uh, we're talking about the uh, we talking about a political body which is Democratic. Also, the first African president of the state, uh, uh, the state, and, and despite those 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 two uh, rarities. Uh, the bottom line is nothing concretely manifested in terms of the interests of African people. And so it seems to me at some point African people got to get an understand that, but damn, if you keep on voting for these people, but yet they keep on uh, um, they keep on disregarding your interests, then maybe we take a second thought in terms of this kind of willingness support for the Democrats. Now, I, now I say that with, with, with this in mind, Brother Africa, and I, I'm sure Sister Brother Moses and Sister Eleanor would agree, one of the things is that uh, we, we, can't all, we can't really afford to be that cavalier in terms of our choices because the bottom line is Republicans are very, very clear that they are very antagonistic toward the interests of African people. They don't, make those, they, don't, they don't disguise that. They tell you up front, we can make it as hard for you as we possibly can. 
they don't make they don't make they're very very uh, brazen about that about that what they what they want to do to, to African people. So we've very very on that point. So we can you know lightly you know just dismiss the points in terms of voting for the Democrats because the bottom line is that when you talk about the material reality, uh, when you talk about the Republican Party, then you talk about a party which is geared toward making sure to create the most harsh conditions for African people are going to prevail. So in that context, you know we don't have the luxury of simply saying, okay, I'm not going to vote for them. Uh, you know, I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not going to vote for Democrats because they, they don't serve my interests. I'm going to contemplate the idea of voting for Republicans, as though voting for Republicans is going to manifest in a way in which is beneficial to the African masses. It's absurd. So I think the bottom line, Brother Africa, I think what we, what we have to seriously think about if we talk about the empowerment of the African people, then we have to think about terms of third party. And even if you don't win, you, even if you don't win on your seats in, you know, in, in, in Congress, at least if you create the conditions that were amenable to condition, I mean, to support or amenable to organization, that is a giant leap forward. If we can get African masses organized, then in terms of the kind of things we could achieve, will be uh, will be increased immensely because with the organization comes the possibility of doing all kinds of things and bringing and bringing all kinds of changes. And those changes have to emanate from us. But our people have to understand that you know we have to see themselves you know, as um, <clears throat> not only as, as a united people, but they have to see their interests as a common interest. And then if we can do that, then we can create a third party in terms of sticking with it, in terms of making sure those kind of issues that are relevant to the African community get some longe- not only some longevity, but also some visibility in terms of its importance. But more importantly, with that kind of organization that it creates, then the kind of things we can do for ourselves becomes a possibility. So my bottom line is, Brother Africa, I, I think that it's an old game that uh, the, the political parties play. Uh, the, Dem- the Democrats got no interest at all in terms of changing the, the paradigm uh, as it currently exists. Uh, Joe Biden is very, very clear. I'm not a socialist. He's very, very clear on that point. So if you think I'm, a, I'm going to take these resources and redistribute resources to the poor in terms of, you know, um, uh, in, in showing their participation in the system, then think again. Biden is very, very clear that he supports the status quo because as long as he supports the status quo, he enriches himself. People like him become enriched. So, therefore, he has no political uh, a desire to bring about a fundamental change to that system which disadvantages the masses of people by empowering a small group of people in society. Uh, so, clearly, Brother Africa, there is no difference between the two. Uh, but certainly, uh, I think one of the things we have to think seriously about is a third party. I think uh, the bottom line is that whether we vote a Democrat or Republic, Republican Party, it doesn't matter. The bottom line and material conditions for African people continue to deteriorate. The struggles African people have to endure historically exist in contemporary times and will also exist in, into the future. That's not pessimism. That's just the bottom line in terms of just how systems operate. So I think we have to think seriously in terms of, you know, a, uh, in terms of a third party, in terms of, you know, creating the kind of organization that we need to do things for ourselves. And that's the bottom line, not close with that. And Brother Hackey, before I let you close, I ask each one of my panelists this question. Each election is, is beginning to be more and more money. We are talking about spending billions of dollars for these elections. What percentage of the money going to get, go in the hands of African people? Who's getting this money? Well, we not. Well, yeah. Well, the the money, the money, the money is not just the, those expenditures are not designed to benefit the masses of people, and specifically the African community. Those money are geared toward you know, those you know those who own things, those who have assets. That's what that's all about. 
So in elevating the amount of money in terms of, you know, running these elections, it ensures that the that poor people don't have access to those kind of offices. So in, in effect, what you have is a very wealthy people in positions of power innovating laws which will benefit to wealthy people. And that's part of the program. And But keep in mind, Brother Africa, when you talk about the president, we're not talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. You're talking about billions of dollars. That's a different, that's a beat. Exactly. Uh, and so clearly, you know, the money is not is not geared toward that. Those billions are not geared toward the betterment of of humanity or or, or elevating participation of poor people in this in the society, intimately working working in the context of society. That's geared toward making sure those people who have access to assets, those rich white white guys, uh, who who have access to assets, who have access to stocks and bonds, uh, who have access to the uh, mechanisms of control. Make sure they have access to that money, and that's what it is, pure and simple. So we don't, we shouldn't think that, in fact, that these large sums of money is geared toward the betterment of of, of society or the enhancement of the, the prospects for 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 a poor and a working people in society. That's not the name. That's not what it's for. And we have to fundamentally understand that this is all part of a game, and it's part and parcel in terms of how capitalism works. Because one of the things is that the, the capitalists who run the society, they're very very clear. They they're in it to win it. In order for them to win it, the, the rules must must be rigged in their favor. And certainly one of the things that you want to do is have as many people as possible who are wealthy in positions of power. Those people in positions of power don't give a damn about working people, their struggles. It's not their struggles. They're making tons and tons of money. And as long as they play ball, they're guaranteed to make tons and tons of money. So why would they give up the opportunity to make tons of money for the benefit of working in a poor people in society? They wouldn't. And I know some are well intended. I'm not taking anything away from the from the squad. I like them as individual. I like those women as individual, you know, as, as as a group. I like the fact at least the the rhetoric that they put forward is very very good. But concretely, do I expect them to step out in terms of actually taking on those those kind of uh, uh, political measures that truly empowers the masses of folks that coolly that truly addresses inequality in society? No, I don't. And I don't expect them to do that. And uh, I think the reality is that you know uh, you know when we talk about uh, uh, you know, one hand washes the other in politics. Keep in mind, as long as you play ball with those positions of power, those who have, have access to wealth, then you're insurer of accumulating wealth yourself. So why would you buck the system which ensures your wealth as long as you play ball? That is the fundamental problem we ha- that, 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 that's happening in society. And I just wish that, you know, people, irrespective of the color of their skin, would understand, you know, uh, that uh, their interests, their class interests, lies with a different kind of political system, uh, one which truly empowers them, one to see their lives as being of value. Uh, that is the struggle that, that we, have, we we embarked upon in trying to get people to understand that fundamental reality. Uh, at the same token, we also understand that there are powerful forces in control of the media, in control of the schools, uh, in control of the universities, who are making sure that the masses of people don't receive that message. And certainly as time goes on and the disillusionment sets in, increasing the number of people are becoming disaffected. They, their position is that nothing can change, so they 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 just turned off to the whole the whole political process, and so therefore this is in the interest of the wealthy people that people are in fact turned off to the political process. Uh, politics, uh, by any other by any by by any by any other term, is certainly uh, something that is, is needed in terms of in terms of bringing bringing forth some type of redress in terms of problems that systematically exist. So with that acknowledgement, there are problems that exist. With organization comes the ability to question or to at least to address those systemic ills that exist in society, and more importantly, being actually in a position to go about, you know, challenging or changing a lot of those ills that, that uh, exist in society. 
but it's going to take mass organization and people in positions of power understand that. And so, therefore, having people in positions of power who are wealthy serves the interests of wealth, and it's that simple. Thank you, Haki. Brother Moses, you have more and more money uh, being required for these elections. Who give me monies? And we have heard narratives that we must vote for the Democrats because the Republican Party is going to do you in. What well, we also have seen from history with where the Democratic Party have control of both houses and we still never got anything. Speak to that phenomenon, Brother Moses. What do you think? Make some sense out of that for me. Yeah, well, in terms of money, uh, there's campaign finance laws, hopefully, that that are in play. But the the, the elections are, are, are under this capitalist system is like, there's an attempt to buy the elections, basically. Like, the they try to convince people, basically, that the more money they raise, the better chance they have of, of electing people. And uh, and um, the focus on policy is 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 lost in that, uh, in my opinion. Uh, um, just about getting money, 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 more money uh, to to uh, put out leaflets and flyers that say, elect me, elect me, elect me. Uh, but uh, the, the, the tennis, the capitalist system, that's, that's, the, that, that's not going to change unless we change the capitalist system. Uh, um, so, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm reminded, of Lenin's work about dual unionism and communists working in reactionary unions and et cetera, et cetera. Um, um, we, uh, we, we have to, to take on the struggle at the level the struggle is, is, is being fought. And uh, we have to convince people that the system is capitalism and that this, why the system is not working is because it is in the hands of the capitalists and they controlled the uh the political processes and uh but and the people united won't be defeated but we got to be united and 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 in order to be united there's got to be uh clarity of thought and unity of action and uh and um you know that's not that's not happening. Uh, uh, just it's just it's just not happening. Uh, uh, there's a lot of dissent, a lot of a lot of uh, uh, complaints. Uh, but in terms of organization, uh, um, I'm not I'm not I'm not I don't I'm not convinced that we're we're got the political unity that we need and uh uh and it's hard to measure it when, when in a situation like this where where we're up against as like you said the republicans are make no bones about it we're talking about fascism uh, uh and we have to have a united front against fascism that's the democratic socialist and communist parties uh um uh, 
united in fighting back the Republican uh, takeover of the economy and the takeover of the political system. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's, you know, during World War II, when uh, Roosevelt, Stalin, and, and Churchill united, uh, um, there was still, you know, there was still capitalism and there was still all the complaints that go with capitalism, but there was a united front against fascism, which was seen as the bigger enemy because fascism, the purpose of fascism is to destroy communism. That's the so- socialism and communism. It's the arch enemy of socialism and communism. And, you know, and so we need, we need to, to, it's a matter of survival itself, uh, it's grasping the situation and recognizing it for what it is and, and responding appropriately. And, uh, to to turn a blind eye to to the the situation is is to invite uh, Trump and uh, his cronies to continue, and we have to we have to do everything in terms of the legal processes and and everything uh, to defeat Trump and because Trump is the le- Trump is the main leader of the fascist movement right now, uh, in spite. Uh, what's been going on in terms of the elections and uh, his his obviously defeat, uh, but uh, but he's still potent and he's and he's running in twenty four and and he will be organizing and and going around the country and spreading his venom and and um, raising money and because he's he's it's a matter of survival for him in order to run because the the, the government is is coming after him. And he knows it, and so it's it's a it's a defensive measure in order to to uh, to continue his political life. Um, it's, it's, it's as a capitalist and as a uh, a business person, he's he's um, in trouble, and if he's looking for a way out, you know. So I don't know the the money. The money, uh, um, all I can say is don't contribute to them. If you don't think you don't think uh, your money is going to be used properly, don't contribute. Uh, 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 the issues stand on the issues themselves and and uh, fight for the issues themselves and um, organize around the issues and uh, and. Um, you know, it's it's a matter of increasing organization, uh, increasing organization, and uh, getting to that critical mass, uh, which is millions of people. And so that's why it's a process. And we're not mechanics. We're not mechanical people. We can think, and we're dialectical, dialectical people, and we can do more than one thing at a at a time. It's not like voting is going to subtract from. Uh, Organizing, uh-huh, uh-huh. you just drop a drop a ballot in the box, and and that's it. I mean, uh, expressing your opinion of who should be in power, and uh, uh, so I I don't get this mechanical thing of of it's all or nothing kind of mentality. Uh, but anyway, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Sister Eleanor, talk to me. 
Well, again, the uh, everything of Brother Haki and Moses has spoken to is really speaking truth to power. But the reality is with these voter suppression laws, they had a tremendous impact on the midterms. And the fascist movement is growing independent of Donald Trump, not only in the world, but in the United States. And the one important thing, one of the many important things Brother Moses mentioned was the unification of the U.S. and the Soviet Union uh, that um, caused the uh, uh, suppression of fascism. And the Soviets gave up tens of millions of lives to combat fascism. And by the time Hitler arrived to Poland, they already had their uh, gas chambers and were annihilating people. So not only is it, uh, people have to understand that fascism is the enemy of Marxism, of socialism, but it's the enemy of the people. It deals with, uh, it, it believes in social cleansing, genocide. Um, uh, it supports backwards things like the prison industrial complex. It further oppresses people, uh, millions of people who depend on subsidies for housing. It fosters a government that has hardworking people working full-time depending on subsidies for food and housing and utilities and public transit just to do these jobs. And they do not reap the benefits of the middle class. And the middle class confuses themselves with the ruling class. They confuse a child tax credit for paying no taxes at all. Jeff Bezos paid no taxes at all. Donald Trump hasn't made his tax returns public yet. Uh, so people who identify that go to work every day and identify with these billionaires are confused. So the big struggle is to educate and organize, and we need think-type organizations. The way 39 states overnight were able to pass suppression laws, these wealthy people are investing in think-type organizations that has uh, boilerplate legislation set up, and you saw there was a run on it during Roe versus Wade. It was a run on this kind of legislation with voters' rights. So, again, people came out to vote, but their vote wasn't counted because of these laws and how it impacted their right to vote. And it's interesting that certain groups of people were not affected. Um, Quote, legitimate immigrants weren't affected because they have current ID. The people that were infected are the affected were the elderly who usually just present their voter registration card, suddenly had to present a state ID, a student ID, or a passport. Well, they don't necessarily have these things. They have a state ID. They were born in Tyler, Texas. 
never left for a day, and it's on public record, but they could be ignored. Their vote could be ignored because of the date on their ID. So, you know, these voter suppression laws, the wealthy, the few that have made it um, in, in entertainment or sports need to establish foundations, 50C3 and 502 organizations that have this kind of legislative work um, ready to go so they can um, come up with what Congress doesn't come up with. And it's a shame that uh, the Democratic Congress was waffling. We saw people like Joe Manchin and, and just just waffling for for a few votes to stay in, in, in power in West Virginia instead of uh, uniting the people. And he forgot the great history of the rednecks in West Virginia where black and white miners united wearing that kerchief around their neck. What divided them was Roosevelt's wife. She offered the whites housing if they would side with her, and it divided an organized labor movement. Remember, the people are starving for basic things, um, environmentally clean and uh, areas to live, water now, housing quality schools, health care, livable wages. So we need for the wealthy amongst us Africans in America and elsewhere to invest their money into helping um, support a legislative strategy that supports our goals and will further help us organize as a people because power isn't given, it's taken. And we can do it. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And what we're going to do right now is we can go to one of our uh, listeners. They have something they want to say as relates to some of the discussions. We will bring in our call of 0673-0673. We welcome you to Africa on the Move. What are some of your thoughts so far based upon what you have heard? Call the 0673. The mic is yours. Yeah, I have a few points. Can you hear me, brother? Yes, we can. We can hear you. Yes, we can. Yeah, I have a few points. The Republicans, uh, they have the Democrats. Democrats got a Republican mindset. Republicans got the um, elephant as their um, logo, so to speak, and elephants don't forget. And so what we have done as a people is that we remember the Democrats were with the civil writers. They um they were there to help us um to no longer sit at the back of the bus. They got some anti lynching laws put forth and they got some laws out there that um that stopped um from rigging the voting booths and things like that. And so we remember the things they did for us in the 60s and the late 50s and the 70s. And since we got that in our subconscious mind, at no point did we say, what have they done for us lately? We don't want to do that. And there's nothing about our afraid of civil unrest and, and with the racial disparities and things like that. But that's most likely going to happen in a Democratic president, not a Republican president. 
even with the Civil War, that was a, a that was Abraham Lincoln, but that was he was like what Republicans back then are what the Democrats are today. So once their boys are in there, you usually don't have that problem when you have their boys in there. You have a problem when they have a, the Democrats in there, and that's when you see that civil unrest. Um, I I agree with Brother um, Haki that we need to um, have an independent party, and we seem to shy away from there. But we forget the Republican Democrats wasn't always Republicans and Democrats. They, they had um, they were the Whigs and they had the Federalists. They had um, uh, they were different parties. So we shouldn't shy away from from an independent party. You just got to know how to strengthen that independent party. And the Democrats and Republicans have put stuff in in in, in, in the laws that. If you run a Democrat, an independent party, you have to go to door to door and get certain votes. There's money available for you, but you got to go to door to door, get some of the names on ticket and all that stuff. Republican Democrats, their names are already on it, and uh, you have to go door to door for those candidates. And um, anytime you you get a strong independent candidate, it's because that independent candidate already has money and don't really need the money that you get from the government because they can. They, they got the money to sustain themselves. But even when you get a strong independent candidate like um, Ross Perot and those in the past who was leading, he, who was, he was leading Republican and Democrats. And what a Democrat and Republican would do was stop fighting one another to get that candidate out. And once that candidate is gone, then they get back to fighting one another again. They put some on Ross Perot's daughter or something. They would expose something about his daughter that caused him to get out of the race. But he was leading them. I don't put all Republicans in the same basket because you got some Republicans who are anti-Trump. And, and when Trump run again, again, you got Republicans that's going to bring him defeat. So I don't put all of them in the same basket because you got McCain, you got a few others I can't name. So I don't put all of them in the same basket. We got to, sometimes we have to learn to listen to one another. I mean, they may have some good points. And, and but we don't see the good points they have, and Democrats certainly have some bad points. We refuse to see the bad points the Democrat has. And since on the program, I think it's Karen Hunter, I believe she mentioned something about the Democratic Party and why we don't entertain certain things, you know. So, but um, and then you mentioned something earlier about in the state, black people in the middle state. When when they look at a threat. They got a, a, a threat assessment formula that they use. Tensions plus capability equals threat. Well, number one, we don't have any power. So I don't see how we'd be a threat, right? So it turns out that anybody, this country wants to maintain the status quo. So anybody that doesn't follow that script, regardless of what nationality, right, you could be targeted. I mean, they target Africans in the past historically, but they also target Helen Keller, <laughs> you know what I mean, a blind woman. <laughs> they target the Black Panther Party. They target uh, um, other, other other groups. So if you don't follow their script, you know, even if you're running for president, I don't believe you're in that White House and they don't have something on you. The script has to be followed, and they will maintain the status quo. And if you don't do it, you know, you end up like Kennedy or some of the other boys who have been targeted. Um, let me see I think that's pretty much I want to say. Oh, also, we don't vote locally. A lot of times when stuff goes to the Supreme Court, if it's controversial, to wash their hands of it, 
they carry down to the states because you got states' rights. So now, just the way, just because something's happening in Mississippi doesn't mean it has to happen in Virginia. You got state rights. But those people who vote for Democrat and Republican for the national office, the President of the United States, a lot of them don't come out to vote when it comes mm-hmm. to in their own neighborhood. They don't know who's on the ballot. They don't know what issues are there. And because it, it, you have to really go outside your way to find out these issues. It ain't going to be broadcast as clearly as identifiable as the President of the United States. And even then, those issues not 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 um um identified because they're so busy arguing with each other that you really don't know what a candidate stands for. But a lot of us do not vote locally. And and I don't know what proportion, but I don't think as many people vote locally as they do as they do for a national election. They come out and vote for the president of the United States and they go back home. That's it. They won't vote for the rest of the year. So a lot of times, you know, we got we got to self responsibility for our actions and things that we do right. But I do agree that we should focus on the independent party and um, how to strengthen that party. Because if you look at it historically, you got models. Like I said, Republican Democrats is Johnny come lately. They 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 weren't there first. They, they had other parties. It was like three or four different parties. I know Whig was one. I think Ferris was another, and there probably two more. So don't think that the independent parties don't have a shot because they do. And I think. Let me see if that's, that's all I had. I, I, I write stuff on a piece of paper and I can't see my notes. Um, but I think that's pretty much all I had to, to bring to the table until you bring up another subject matter. But thanks for letting me um, um, have the floor. Turn thank you, Carla. The program back over to Brother Africa. You thank you, Carla, for your input to today's program and what we're going to do right now. We're going to pause for the calls, and this is going to be a two-part series of news you can use or more. But when we come back, we're going to open up under the section. What's going? We will open up under the section as we're going to relate to that theme: news you can use and more. And our first item of discussion is going to be on a response or a reaction from Candace Williams, from Candace Williams, as she talked about uh, defending Kyrie Irving and his rights to articulate uh, his own point of views as we relate, relate to this issue of this, this, this issue of one being anti-Semitic. Uh, one of the things she said in the presentation, which I thought was real interesting, was that um, are there any other type of Jews, or can anybody else be a Jew outside the ones you typically always see? Which I thought was an interesting point. I'd like for y'all to respond to. She also raised the issue of she was put under pressure to attack Kyrie Irving. Now what is that about? She said she was greatly put under pressure. They wanted her wanted her to go out public to attack Kyrie Irving, but she refused to do it. She did the opposite. She showed support. Also this question of um she raised the issue that Kyrie Irving raised who she thought was valid. One of the things when we talk about identity is that identifying ourselves, one issue that has affected African people in this country is that we don't know who we are. So therefore, we have a hard time identifying uh, where we come from, even though everybody else knows where we came from. We came from Africa. And one other point she raised, and I'd like each one of y'all maybe speak to, 
is 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 this whole question, uh, this question of um, you know, seems like only certain people can be sensitive to someone' pain, and other people may not also have grief and pain as relates to their history. Why they only seem to be limited just to a certain group of them people. So we'd like to get to have y'all respond to Sister Candace Owens' response in terms of defending Kyrie when we come back as a first topic or news you can use or more. So when we return, we'll go with our panelists as well as the listening audience. You can call in and win on this particular discussion as well. This is Brother Africa with Africa on the Move. We'll be right back.
If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine. Palestine, needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs Palestine, Palestine needs our love. Needs there seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice, that's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs, our love. needs our love. People of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine. Needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. That's right. As we're taking our break, we want to remind you that Africa is where our heart lies. Uh, our sister, Mama Cable. At the same time, not only does Palestine need our love, but Africa does too. So we welcome you back to Africa on the Move. This is the first part of a two-part series, News You Can Use and More. Right now, we'd like to have our panelists and you, the listening audience, who chime in on this discussion. Recently in the news, you know, there was or continue to be a discussion around a response from back, a response to Kyrie Irving and somewhat Brother Ye, particularly where Kyrie Irving made a post, a particular movie titled Hebrews and Negroes, Black Americans Wake Up. 
and how you receive this backlash response, and we will probably like to define and view it as more so from the Zionist community, and we're not going to get tricked up in the word the Jew. Because when we say the Jewish community, we talk about many people. Anybody can be a Jew. A Jew comes in all kinds of shapes, sizes, and colors, and not limited to no one point of view. At least when we talk about designing forces, we talk about those who took the religion of Judaism, came out of Europe, and used it to justify to create and take the Palestinian homeland. So on that note, um, everyone, anyone can be a Jew, and all Jews are not Zionists, all Zionists are not Jew. So we're not confused in our history. We understand one of the three major religions that came out of Africa came from Africa was Judaism. So I think in the statement that Brother Kyrie Irving made about if he know who he was or who he is in his history, um, you know, he, he can't be anti-Semitic. But anyway, let's speak to this issue of Candace. Most of us view her as someone really to the right, a real white ringer, and we consider someone who probably will go um, against the so-called establishment in terms of um, giving the history the many points of views that she may have expressed. But in this case, it's really interesting. She seems to take a view where she supports uh, the right of Kyrie Irving, and she didn't have any issues so much of what he said and how he said it. You know, a couple of things that came out from her support for Kyrie Irving is that she raised the question, can other people be Jews? Are there more than one type, form, or look of a Jew? She made the remarks that there are people who are trying to put pressure on her or put pressure on her to denounce Kyrie Irving, and which she refused. And she also raised the issue of what's wrong with this issue of many African people don't understand who they are. Because it's based upon the denial of our history, most of us don't know where we came from. And the last thing was, well, one of the last thing, one of the other things we raised in the presentation was that if you're going to be sensitive towards some one or a group of people feelings being hurt, well, where's that sensitivity when it comes to other people also have feelings? I'd like to get your response to uh, this whole phenomenon to Kyrie Irving tweet, but more particularly in terms of the position that Sister Candace Owens stated as she defend Kyrie Irving. Brother Haki, the mic is yours. Yeah, Brother Africa, I, I got to tell you, I was uh, genuinely, when you sent that clip to me, I was genuinely surprised that this, this, this woman would actually have the uh, enough gumption to stand up and do and say that which is correct. Uh, certainly, when we talk about the context of you know uh, you know can, when she raises the question, can other be Jewish? That's that's very, very clear on the point that you made. And, and of course, when we talk about what is to be Jewism, that we understand the history of Judaism comes from Africa, we particularly Ethiopia region, and so we understand that. So we're not confused, as you alluded to, Brother Africa, that uh, you know people run around talk about they're exclusively Jewish and no one else is. We understand the fallacy of such a position, that we understand Judaism is a way of life. So anyone who wants to be Jewish can be Jewish, providing they uh, embrace the uh, the, uh, <coughs> the community uh, in terms of what it is to be uh, turned to be Jew. 
Uh, clearly, so I really appreciate the fact that she acknowledged that point because that is a very, very important point. So in understanding that point, so when we make the distinction between Judaism and Zionism, they're going to understand clearly one is spiritual, the other is political. Zionism is political. Uh, in fact, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, founders, uh, you know, um, uh, have, have no allegiance whatsoever to a creator, and it's very, it's very, very political. And so we, 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 we understand that. So when you research Hertz and you understand in terms of, you know, the politics involved in Zionism, then you understand specifically, you know, uh, why uh, Zionists take a position that they take in terms of, you know, strategically, you know, denouncing others who are, in fact, Jewish, proclaiming that Jews are only people out of Poland or Germany. So we understand the fallacy of that position. Uh, now, when she also, she talked about the pressure on her in terms of to actually uh, – Critique Kyrie Irving in a way which is unflattering is very, very interesting because what Kyrie said was all he alluded to was he talked about the movie Hebrews and Negroes, you know, wake up black people. So all he was saying is there's a part of history which, you know, we're totally unaware of, and it's important that we be aware of this history. So when she talked about the kind of pressure they put on her, the pressure is not so much with, Kyrie, with Kyrie's endorsement. The pressure comes from the fact that, you know, design is create the perception, and what they were saying to her. We create a perception that Kyrie is quote unquote anti-Semitic, and we we expect you to follow up on that trope. She didn't do that, and that alienated them a great deal. So, to what extent that's going to she's going to pay the price for that's going to be very interesting. One thing is sure, the kind of money that they put into her, specifically for the uh, to to sort of divide the African community to distract the African community from what's going on. Uh, the fact that they pay her to do that now that she sort of uh, departed from her role that she's expected to play. It's going to be interesting in terms of how they're going to punish her financially in terms of the particular moves. So when you start with the pressure that she's under in terms of not, uh, you know, falling for the Zionist plot, uh, Zionist plot, you know, of vilifying uh, Kyrie Irving, it's going to be interesting in terms of how that plays itself out. Uh, also, Brother Africa, you know, one of the things, you know, <clears throat> the, question, the question of African identity, you know, um, you know, uh, or the identity generally, I and mean, it's very, very clear that most people, you know, given the fact that they understand because they're immigrants to America, they understand there's a kind of certain amount of continuity in terms of who they are, you know, as a people. So if you're Scottish, then you know we, we come from Scottish. If you're Italian, you, know you come from Italy and so forth and so on. With us, we know we come from Africa, but when you ask specifically, you know, what community, what, what tribal group, we, we, we have no clue. We just know we come from Africa because, in part, we, we weren't immigrants. Uh, we were brought here enslaved. So it's a different reality. So that, and certainly that history has, uh, to some extent, uh, complicated you know, in the terms of who we are. And so where, where it's good that we understand what African people, uh, the bottom line is that, you know, uh, I think in, 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 a, in a very, um, in, in, a, in, a, in a grandest sense, it's good that we don't uh, we don't identify with any particular tribe in Africa. We just identify with Africa, which is good. So we don't carry that baggage in terms of you from this tribal group, you from that tribal group. We don't have to, we don't have to deal with that. We come from I'm African, so I embrace all Africa. So that's, that's all important. Uh, but certainly, you know, Kyrie's position is that, you know, that in terms of, or at least her position, you know, that, uh, you know, that somehow, you know, lacking that information is problematic for African people. I think for her, is a huge leap forward, and I'm at least glad that she acknowledges that much. Uh, and lastly, Brother Africa, I think, you know, uh, you know, this whole question in terms of sensitivity uh, you know, around, you know, uh, you know uh, around these concerns of African people. You know, when we talk about, you know, the history of, um, the history of, of, of German, you know, Nazis in Germany. We talk about the internment of, 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 of Jewish of, of the Jewish people. Then clearly, 
we're talking about it, something that's limited in duration. It's not to discount the horror and the pain that African people suffer from. Uh, but certainly when you compare that in terms of the hundreds of years oh, that Africans have been uh, inflicted with you know, all kind of injustice, and not only historically, but even contemporary times, even now, the same problems historically we railed against are still happening in the 21st century. So still there's a certain amount of continuity in terms of injustice inflicted by African people in which, as far as Jews are concerned, existed on a limited time frame. Also, one of the things I think is very interesting to note that you know Matthew Coles, who is Jewish, and he talked about the fact that a lot of the history that that we understand in terms of you know Kristinog and these these other concentration camps, he said a lot of the stuff was, was, was information was manufactured. He said a lot of it's not even true. He's and he, and he said this question about three million people who perished. He said that's the, inf- the, the, the 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 forensics doesn't support that three million people were killed, and it's very very interesting. You know, so this so this this, this notion, in fact. Using history as a blunt object, you know, to beat people over the head to 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 justify their, you know, the further uh, the, the designers uh, uh, designers' interest, it's a strategy in which they're being used to perfection. So I think to some extent, you know, we have to begin to understand that when we talk about injustices and the law historical justice inflicted by African people, takes the backseat to no movement in terms of atrocities African people have to contend with, you know, on a daily basis in the society. So we 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 we're cognizant of the fact that Jewish people were in fact subjugated to all kinds of uh, uh, horrors. We we no one would discount that, uh, even though Matthew Coles would say to the extent that those horrors existed are imagined. Uh, the bottom line is there was at least some people who were subjected uh, to these horrors, and if there's only ten people subjected to the horrors, it doesn't negate the decisions of anybody being subjected to those horrors. But certainly in the context of African people, when you look historically, you look at now. And you look at the the, the 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 inequality inflicted upon African people, the suffering, the injustice, and you look at that, then clearly African people have a justification in terms of in terms of raising some concerns in terms of this ongoing uh, problem in terms of fundamental injustice inflicted the African community. And for people not to be sensitive to that, to sort of dismiss African suffering or the mafia as brothers and sisters referred to referred as referred to it as, uh, I think somehow you know that's that for me. Uh, that's intolerable. You know, clearly, the kind of the kind of injustice African people have been have been dealing with. Uh, clearly, you know, you simply can't dismiss it. You know, as as a, some type of whim. Uh, clearly, you know, this stuff has substance. It's is long in duration. It's ongoing. And so, certainly, when we when we talk about the you know the plight of African people in society, and our struggles in terms of finding some solution in terms of dealing with the plight that we're confronted with, then certainly we have a justification to proceed. Or whatever strategy we need necessary in terms of uh, alleviating the uh, struggles that we have to confront on a daily basis. And I close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Go to Brother Moses. Your response to Sister Cannon's own, and she defended Brother Kyrie. Brother Moses, the mic is yours. Yes. Well, I think the issue is about Zionism and Judaism. And um, historically, how this, these these uh, movements take place. Um, the Zionists deny the truth of Jesus' teachings on internationalism and against the restoration of Israel as advocated by the Zionists of his day. You know, I believe in getting to the root, i.e., radical. Jesus and the Bible propagate the laissez-faire philosophy of early merchants, and there is no getting around waiting for his return. 
Remember, there were no churches until John the Baptist and Jesus started the movement. It is well suited for the ruling class to continue ruling. I'm into liberation theology. Jesus reconciled humans and the God question. You don't reverse correct verdicts. That's why I bear witness that the only God is Jesus and that Mao is his messenger for government. The, the word is truth, and only the truth can set you free. There is a judgment day coming. There will be a revolution. And I'm I'm for freedom of religion, but I have a stand of my own, and which which I try to be open and above board about. Um, I, I say Mao is his messenger because because the government has no religion, and um, only the principles of truth and justice should be advocated. And you know, Kyrie and um, is is getting into. Uh, the whole issue of what it means to be uh, a Jew and uh, and what it means to be a Zionist and uh, and you know we we have to understand that Judaism is was around but Jesus started a new religion basically a revolutionary religion and uh, you know so. I don't know. We we're gonna to have to come to terms of, of what it means to be reactionary and what it means to be progressive. And uh, I don't know. Uh, Jesse Jackson got in trouble when he called, I think, Judaism a gutter religion or something like that. But uh, you know, there is there is uh, um, progress being made, and we have to go with with progress. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And we now turn the mic over to Sister Eleanor. Sister yeah, Eleanor. I, uh, thank you. I had a little technical difficulty with that piece. However, um, the reality is it is a, as both Brother Haki and Brother Moses said, it's a real struggle between Zionism and Judaism. And uh, as uh, the comedian said, he said uh, he started out with his disclaimer because certain people cannot be discussed. What we need in our in our world in the United States is for all rights of all people to be uh, supported. Uh, African-Americans, Africans can be mowed down by the police, shot uh, uh, radical people or, or righteous working-class people can be shot down by children like Rittenhouse, and there'll be a $50 million or $20 million defense fund for them um, pushing fascism and property over people. Uh, this whole uh, situation, it was good to allow for uh, free speech that was not calling for the death of Jewish people or the death of Africans or the death of Hispanics. Uh, and that, 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 that's a, a move in the right direction. And I think the... Uh, my fellow panelists 
anything that could possibly be said on this uh, subject. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And we go to our caller, 0673. Your thoughts, caller 0673. The mic is yours. Yeah, I went to the grocery store today, and I saw the latest National Geographic magazine and had a picture of King Tut on it. And it wasn't like the King Tut you've seen on National Geographic magazine. It looked like a real human being. It looked like Wesley Snipes. And I wanted that picture, but I didn't want to pay $7 for the magazine. So I was going online to get that picture so I could send it to Brother Africa, right? Now, when I do find it, I'm going to send it to you. So when I send that picture to Brother Africa, somebody's going to and I'm not going to put anything on I'm not going to write any captions, right? Somebody asked me, are you saying that Egyptians look like that? And I'm not saying anything. Are you saying the people who are over there in Egypt today aren't, don't look like the original? I'm not saying anything. You must be anti-Egyptian. And that's the same thing with Kali Irving. He just tweeted something. And people call him anti-Semitic. You seldom hear them put the microphone and ask you, are you anti-Jewish? They don't say that. They don't say anti-Zionist. They, they say anti-Semitic. I'd, be, I'd like for somebody to define that. All right. Now, although what Candace Owens says sounds quite noble, but when you defend somebody who hasn't said anything, then that becomes a straw man argument. A straw man argument is when somebody says something, you distort what they are saying, and you present that as if they're actually saying it, when it's not. For example, if somebody asked me, uh, they said to me, well, we will get married. I said, well, uh, what will take you so long to ask me to marry you? And I said, well, I'm Trying to get my finances in order. So girlfriend said, well, what did he say? He said he ain't going to marry me. But that's not what I said. You actually destroyed it. So although what Candace Owens said is noble, right, if you defended something, person hasn't said anything, it becomes a short man argument. Because what is Candace defending? What is she saying Carly Irving said? Unless somebody can share with me something he actually said, from all the interviews I've seen, they put the microphone in his face, and he, and he just didn't say anything. They relied on the fact that he tweeted. And because he tweeted something, right, he agrees wholeheartedly about the video. In the video that we looked at, right, it's because something that we like, that they were like, and there's something that we disagree on. Just like going to see Black Panther. I can pick it apart. You may like it wholeheartedly because you're not political. But since I'm politically astute, I look at the good and I look at the bad. So by him sharing that video, is that the sum total of what he got from it? It does not, does not suggest that he's anti-Semitic. So I'm wanting to know what is Candace, I mean, I'm not knocking on what she did, no, but I wonder what is she agreeing with? Because she, if she agreeing that Kaye said what, what did he say? Because the videos I've seen, he'd been silent. So actually, what are you defending? So for me to take her side, I got to find out what is she defending. She said she defended. He has the right well, to think, to pass the literature to somebody else, and I can see that. But but go ahead. I think Akeemalon, the way I view the video, she was defending and supporting him in the sense of he was not guilty of all the things that the media say he did and was doing and said, based upon what he heard, what he said. I think she was. Oh, I, 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 I support that. Yeah. In, in, in terms yeah. of 
in terms of response. So that that would be my answer to your question. That's all. Oh, I support. But you that. finish your point. That. Yes, no, that was it. That was it. That was it. That was it. I want to clear. I mean, before I get the cans on on boat, I want to make sure she's not saying that he said something right. Now I want to know what did he say that she's defending. But so she was just saying that he has the right to to to, to like like I said earlier, right? He just all he did was tweet it. The information and what you do with the information that's yours. So yeah, but um yeah, yeah I thought it was a noble did, thing because he, yeah. he did do an interview, and and that's really interesting. I think Hacky said something earlier in that discussion about how they try to treat us like children, kids, and just say and do anything to us. Kyrie yeah. Irving case is is, is is a good example of that because if you listen yeah. to his interview, right. They would tell you if you didn't hear what he said. They would have you question your ears and your eyes. They would have mm-hmm. you say that, um, you know, this is what he said when well, you know that he didn't say it. But they would still come on and say, this is what he said, even though you know they didn't. That's a strong it's man sort of argument. Like, um, yeah. It's sort of like uh, one of my psychology classes I took when I was a freshman in, 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 um, in school. We talk about perception and how people can make you see things based upon, you know, mm-hmm. the ability to get mm-hmm. you to believe something. That may not even exist. And in my psychology class, they did this experiment where they had people saying things that really didn't, didn't exist in the sky. And that's sort of like what they did to him in this interview. Even though he mm-hmm. answered the question and stated the position, they would print and write that he said something and did something that never occurred in this interview. Yeah. And everyone who saw yeah. it knew that. But they still print the yeah. shit anyway. So, you know. Again, you know, goes back to this question of power. Who has the right or the power to define, to define, and who has the right or the means to constantly pump a lie to make people think it's the truth? You know, one of the things yeah. these forces talk about the anti-Nazism um, and anti-Hitler, but one will argue that why is it that you use uh, one of the techniques you claimed that the Nazi did, which was to tell lies so many times that people began to think it's the truth. And, and another thing, too, when a person apologizes, like sometimes I say things that I don't mean, I apologize because I, what I said hurt you. If, if what I said hurt you, right, then I apologize. But I'm not retracting my statement. <laughs> you know what I mean? So a lot of times they do that right. You know what I mean? A lot of times you say stuff right that you mean, but you apologize because although I hurt you, I, it wasn't my intent to hurt you, so I apologize. So a lot of times, sometimes people say a person apologized. You got to listen to the apology. Did they actually take back what they were doing, what they said, or, or, or if they said anything? Or they're just very sensitive about hurting you, and they want you to feel comfortable too. Because somebody was saying that he apologized, and, and from what I heard, what he actually I, I, it wasn't what people said. It wasn't like a taking back. But you haven't done anything. See, my thing is, when you get, you get in this political arena, if you ain't going to go all the way, don't say it. See, cause I've seen people like Barclay and them retract what they've said once the microphone for it. I like my dad, right? And peace be unto him, right? He said, before I take it back, I add more to it. So, now if I said something, I mean to say, yeah, I apologize. But if I meant to say if you ain't, if you go take it back, don't even say it. Just, just don't even get in this arena. If you go say something and you plan on taking it back, if you if you truly meant what you meant, you know. So if I said that um, the ancient Egyptians were, were black, I ain't taking it back. If I said you know certain thing, I ain't taking it back. Now, so anyway, 
carry on. <laughs> I enjoy Thank the program so far. So go ahead. I'm going to hold you up. Your points are appreciated. And what we're going to do right now, and this is a two-part series, we're going to take a revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we're going to have some announcements, and then we're going to have some final thoughts on this program today, which is part one of a two-part series, News You Can Use and More. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know. I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, to last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. Must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it through. My journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Hellerino, a bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, 
where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people the love of my people shining like the sun everywhere we go everywhere we go when the light is clear oh how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey yeah, and made it through my journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
back to Africa on the Moon. You're listening to Brother Africa and the political panelist and political panelists and analysts for today's program, which is on November the twentieth, twenty twenty. Theme is part one of news you can use and more. At this particular stage we're gonna do a little house cleaning and then we're gonna have our final thoughts from our participants and political panelists and analysts for today's program. First and foremost, we would like to remind everyone who would like to become a supporter, friend of Africa on the Move, please email us at Africa on the Move, the number two at gmail.com. If you have any particular views or program or perspective you'd like to share with us, we'd love to have you as a guest. If you're part of a movement, a progressive revolutionary movement. Email us. We'd like to know what is going on in your movement and share that with our listening audience. Number two, we also would like to inform you that we are asking all of our friends, supporters, and listeners, if you listen to this program, hear this program, and you definitely want to support us, can you just let us know this by emailing us and let us so we'll have means of communicating with you directly on a timely basis. Again, our email is AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com. And, of course, Africa on the Moon is a community project under the banner of the African Awareness Association. As we've been uh, making announcements for a while now to inform all of you that we'll be taking a historical, educational, culture tour travel challenge to Cuba from January 23rd to the 30th, 2023. Well, a better way to bring in your New Year's. Come and join us, along with staff members and other friends and supporters of Africa on the Move. Just email the African Awareness Association, number two at gmail.com. If you have interest, uh, you need to start making that move right about now. We would like to encourage you to come. Come and see Cuba for, for yourself. And last and not least, we will turn the mic over to Sister Eleanor and Brother Robert Moses to see if there's anything that they would like to say about what's going on with the D.C. Metro Coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution. And, of course, we have Brother Haki say a few words on behalf of the African Wellness Association on why you should go to Cuba. Let's start with Brother Haki. Brother Haki, give us some um, enlightenment on the importance of why we should come and be part of this travel challenge uh, in support of Cuba, for which all Cuba Cuba has done for Africa, African people in the world. Brother Haki, there's a reason why we should support this noble cause and join this tour. How you doing, Brother Haki? I think while we're waiting for Brother Haki to come in, what we're going to do is we can go to Brother Moses. I think we maybe have some prop. Brother Haki, are you there? Can you hear me? Yes, yes we can. can. Hear me? Yes, we can. can. Hear me? We can hear you. Yes, we can. Okay, the phone break. The phone is breaking up. Okay, yeah. One of the things in terms of uh, that makes Cuba such a great place to visit is, in fact, Cuba. You know, Cuba You know, epitomizes you know struggle. Uh, one of the things we talk about the injustices that the people fundamentally. Have to have to uh, contend with in American society. Cuba has similar kinds of struggles, and and the one great thing about that, you know, Cuba was able to win its struggle, 
And as a consequence, when you look at Cuban society today, and if you certainly if you contrast what Cuba used to be to today, uh, the kind of changes that have taken place in Cuba is something to behold. In fact, because they have this example in terms of long struggle and, and the benefits of struggle, certainly one of the things we can learn from Cuba is not only in terms of the historic significance in terms of struggle, but actually the concrete benefits of engaging in struggle. Because one of the things we got to be very, very clear on, in America, when we talk about the kind of struggles people are contending with on a day-to-day basis, the bottom line is as capitalism deconstructs, the bottom line is these struggles can only intensify. So we have no other core recourse but to engage these struggles uh, that are taking place in society. Also, when you talk about Cuba, you got to acknowledge the role in terms of forming the best kinds of institutions. Uh, you know, one of the things, institutions are so key in terms of shaping, you know, the, the perception of its citizens. Uh, Cuba has it does a very masterful job in terms of creating conditions which says that it's all about the collective. It's not about the individual. In fact, when you talk about the collective as opposed to the individual, it makes it possible to achieve great things. So as a consequence, when you look at the terms of Cuba institutions, maybe the role of education or the role of medicine, the role of technology, and despite the poverty, despite the, uh, the uh, sanctions imposed by the U.S., Cuba's doing remarkable things in those arenas, and so clearly we can learn something from that. So the information that we, we get from Cuba, we convey to our own communities because these kind of things are very, very important in terms of contending with a lot of the systematic injustices that inflict particularly the African community in America. Now, finally, I would say, Brother Africa, one of the things in terms of why it's so important to, to, to you know, visit Cuba is that one of the things, when, when you talk about what is the definitive threat that Cuba poses to the U.S., well, the reality is it, it doesn't pose any. Uh, the, the threat that it does pose is more existential, and that is that one of the things that, if you think back in terms of U.S. history, often you hear the Secretary of State of the United States, for instance, say, Blinken or Pompeo, who worked under, under uh, Trump, one of the things that you, they talk about a lot is rule-based order. In other words, rule-based order is rules determined by the United States. They're not international rules. They're rules solely determined by the United States. In other words, the United States depends on how your society should be organized, who should be fitting society, who shouldn't be fitting society. Cuba, Cuba definitively rejects that notion that, in fact, that countries on the outside can impose upon Cuba the, uh, what it can do in terms of empowerment of its own citizens. And so as far as the United States is concerned, that constitutes a real threat. And the threat comes from the fact that if people understood the power that they have in terms of over- overthrowing systems that are fundamentally unjust, uh, then if it happened in Cuba, it can happen in America. And so for that point alone, Cuba seems as an existential threat. And we have to understand that. But more importantly, when we look at it in terms of how communities are organized in Cuba, when we talk about the Committee on Defensive Revolutions, and we talk about the communities being involved in terms of political aspects of society on a day-to-day basis, those things are marvelous to the whole. So if we can bring back to, this, to, to America, to our communities, this concept in terms of community defense of the revolution, in terms of making sure that we organize in such a way that we can contend with any type of issue that comes down the road, it, it makes us all the more powerful as a people, as a community. So clearly Cuba has a lot to offer, so we clearly we have to uh, – we we have to embrace, uh, you know, what Cuba's doing, learn from what Cuba's doing, and apply a lot of those principles. And finally, Brother Africa, I think one of the things is that when we talk about in terms of Cuba's threat, you know, one of, one of the real ironies is that when we look at the support of the U.S. for, for the Nazi regime in Ukraine, and we, when we say to ourselves, well, wait, wait a minute, this country said it's adamantly opposed to Nazism, but yet it supports Nazi regimes not only in Ukraine but throughout the world. Why would it do such a thing? Well, clearly, it goes again. It goes back to the whole question in terms of rules-based order. In other words, 
in order for the U.S. to achieve an objective, it would destroy, kill, maim, do whatever it has to do in terms of maintaining control and power. Uh, of course, the bottom line is that as capitalism deconstructs, the bottom line is the ability in terms of maintaining control and power fades, and the United States is desperate. So the desperation is reflected in the kind of barbarity, the kind of, uh, 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 the kind of uh, uh, injustice imposed upon a small island like you know, Cuba with 11 million people. Uh, but despite it all, Cuba persists. And so clearly, much to be gleaned from Cuba. So go there, learn from Cuba, you know, talk to the people. Any questions you have, ask the people. They're not afraid to articulate their feelings. Talk to them in terms of, you know, perception in terms of what's going on in the world. They're very educated people. So we encourage people to go to Cuba firsthand and see for themselves why Cuba is such a great place. Thank you, Brother Haki. And we're going to bring in Brother Moses and Sister Eleanor. Representing the D.C. Metro Coalition in defense of the Cuban Revolution <coughs> to see if there's anything they would like to share or they have for this audience in terms of what's going on with that organization. We'll come to you first, Brother Moses. Any particular announcements you'd like to make or share with our listening audience? Well, we just had the caravan, and uh, we got a, we, we're got we in the planning stages uh, for the next next. Uh, um, political event, uh, and I'm not, I'm not I don't have any anything specific right now. Thank you. And Susanna, so anything you'd like to add to that? Yes, as Brother Moses said, we're in the planning stages of a uh, fundraiser coming up uh, soon, but uh, we'll keep you posted. All right, thank you, Sister Eleanor. At this stage of the time, as they say, we are at the end of the road for this program, which is part one of a two-part series, News You Can Use and More. We're going to ask our panelists and analysts and our participants today to give us their final thoughts for today's program. And we'll start off with Brother Moses. Your final thoughts for today's program, Brother Moses. Um, yeah, this has been a very interesting program. Uh, uh, I think, you know, uh, ideas and uh, behavior, human behavior has evolved over the years, uh, over the centuries. And, uh, you know, we have to recognize that uh, what progressive ideas we have to get in touch with and, uh, and, uh, and, and leave the reactionary and the old school behind. So in that sense, you know, like um, uh, I, I hate to repeat myself. Repetition is the mother of invention, in my opinion. But uh, you know, the the Jew, the 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 children of Jacob, or the children of who Jacob changed his name to Israel, and the twelve tribes of of Israel. Judah was only one tribe, and uh, Judah. The Jews, the Jews have come out of Judah, and so they have, they've hijacked the whole twelve tribes as if all Israel is, was was Jews, and uh, and you know this is a fundamental to Zionism. Uh, I, I I was there's so much to be said. Uh, it's a long protracted struggle, and we have to educate ourselves daily and and uh, study, study, study 
and turn ourselves into communists. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, for your participation to today's program. And we'll go to our caller, 0673. Caller, 0673. Any final thoughts you would like to make for today's program? Yeah, I'll say what Brother Moses was saying, although he probably didn't have time to, to, to break it down. It's just like all citizens, all, all citizens of Virginia are citizens of the United States. But all citizens of the United States are not citizens of Virginia. So that's so so he told me you got all Israelites, you got you you may have you got Israelites, you got kingdom in the north, you got kingdom in the south, and that was Brother Moses was alluding to but you couldn't break it down. And so a lot of people don't know the history, they don't even in, in the Bible. But as far as today's program, today's program is pretty good. Um we mentioned Cuba, right? I haven't had an opportunity to go there yet. But a lot of times you hear a lot of service and what's true is what's in writing. I have read the Cuban Constitution. If you read the Constitution and you see what rights they have to the people, right? You say, "Wow, this is a beautiful Constitution, the way it's written and things that's in there for the people." So I will, I will, I will ask people to to do that. You read the United States Constitution, read um Constitution of other nations, and see what's missing over here that they have. Otherwise, it was a very good program, and throw um, back over to you, brother Africa. You know, Carl, you raised an interesting point about this Constitution, how they dealt with it in Cuba. Recently, mm-hmm. I read an article, and the writers were making the point that this new new um, body that's coming to um, midterm election after this midterm election, you say historically most of your representatives were really lawyers. About 86, 80% of the folks that... Um, that are congressmen and congresswomen. They are basically have backgrounds in law. They are lawyers mm-hmm. and read the Constitution. Well, he said this time most of the folks in the House are not. They have no 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 legal legal understanding of this legal system, and over ninety <laughs> percent of them have not even read the Constitution. And these could be the people making your rules and your policy. I thought that was interesting, yeah. but it it represents the reality of America and its people. They constantly yeah. do things out of ignorance. That's what it means to be American, okay. to be ignorant in many things, if not all. But anyway, you maybe think about that. I thought I'd just share that little tidbit with my listening audience. Next, we'll go to Sister Eleanor. Your final thoughts for the night. Well, it was Sister a fantastic Eleanor. show. Yes, good evening. Um, it was a fantastic show. The real point, uh, I think, um, Brother Africa and and our guests and and Brother Moses mentioned one is that we need to develop alternative political parties. United States, unlike Ireland or New Zealand, has about 11, a little small island nation has 11 or more parties. And uh, we really need to organize, 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 as Brother uh, Aki said, because we really saw a devastating uh, response. So many people came out to vote, but so few votes were counted. And uh, that's a real atrocity. That is a major civil rights as well as a human rights. It's mainly a human rights violation, in my opinion. And then the criticism of African-American speech 
traditionally African Americans are an anomaly as Africans in the U.S. And so many consider themselves Jews and have it, uh, 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 though they're Zionists. And when they speak on the issue, they are uh, abused. Uh, Kanye West lost a million and a, a billion and a half dollars in one day. What kind of punishment is this? What did he take a life? No. Did he destroy a nation? No. That does not call for the destruction of a people or a nation. Is costing a black man one billion and a half dollars. Something's wrong with this picture. Millions of Americans lost their right to vote through 39 states passing voter suppression laws, and we're not reading it anywhere in the post. Rupert Murdoch decided not to endorse Trump because fascism's on the move, and he's putting his leaving the door open for Santos, or Santos, the governor of Georgia, another fascist, to move up in the game. So this is a critical time in the United States. We're not combating only imperialism. We're combating fascism. And we have to remember, we see it in India. We saw it in Brazil. We see it in Mother Africa, Nigeria. Uh, We see it in Turkey. And these are our allies. So what people need to do right now is fight against the expansion of NATO. We do not need to expand NATO. The Soviet Union collapsed. And somebody mentioned the Secretary of State. And he recently, uh, in March or April of this year, talked about how long the United States has been working with the Ukrainians to form an independent nation. The purpose of this goal is to separate Mother Russia from the Black Sea, to separate her from her, her Navy, and also to do what has been done in Africa, With the CFR currency, Africa, the richest continent in the world as we know it today, everything is sold as a commodity. Now they want to sanction Mother Russia and make everything a commodity and that Mother Russia accept euros instead of rubles. It's a terrible game that's being played on the people, and it is truly a misinformation propaganda war that's going on against the citizens of this United States. So it's time for each and every person to stand up, and I thank you, Brother Africa, and your guests and panelists each week speaking truth to power and bringing knowledge to the community at large. Thank you. And have a wonderful, wonderful week and health and longevity be amongst all our listeners, analysts, and
and supporters and among and Mother Earth because she's struggling to survive right now. Let's love each other and show respect for humanity. Thank you. Good night. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, for your contribution to today's program. And we now will get the final thoughts from Brother Haki. Brother Haki, the mic is yours. <clears throat> yeah, you know, um, not to belabor the point, but I think it is important that I underscore uh, just, you know, how perilous a society is. You know, when we talk about the disparity between the have and have nots, it's growing leap and bounds. And we have to understand our implications in terms of having a small group of people who have immense wealth and a large number of people, majority of people, will have relatively little wealth. That's some fundamental problem. In the context of capitalism, what it means is that those abundant of people who don't have access to wealth become problematic for the few. Uh, the question for the few is how do you get rid of all of these people you don't need, all these people you don't want, all these people you, you refuse to give jobs, all these people refuse to pay meaningful wages. What do you do with these kind of people? Uh, that is a, the criticism question for the capitalists, and this is what somebody got to be concerned about. So we talk about the inhumanity of capitalism, the inhumanity of, of the American system, then we got to understand that this inhumanity is not going anywhere. It's not going to decrease. It's actually going to increase. Now, when we talk about the increase of the inhumanity, one of the things I think is important people understand is that often when you look at television, they talk about a ratio between interest rates and credits. That is very interesting because what's happening is that by decreasing interest rates, what it means, it complicates the wealthy's ability to get have access to money, uh, certainly at a, at a rate in which it affords them to be able to pay for the assets they acquire. Which means that uh, it means that the revenues for the government is simply simply uh, are complicated. It means that the government doesn't have access to to revenues simply because the capital class doesn't have access to free money flowing throughout the system. Which means that it has a, a adverse impact on things like homelessness, low wages, and unemployment. So there is a correlation between correlation between interest rates and those very horrible things that take place in society. And this is what we have to fundamentally understand. If these kind of if these factors continue to decline, it means that the capitalist system in, the, in itself is in decline, which means that in terms of the struggles that people face on a daily, daily basis are going to continue to deteriorate. We have to understand that certainly as a strategic response to deteriorating capitalism in, 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 Western, in the Western world, the response has been to elevate fascist elements in society for the sole purpose at some point using these fascist elements to attack others in you know in the uh, you know in the nation for the purpose of terms of trying to create some type of stability, certainly some longevity in terms of the capitalist system. Uh, history is very very clear on that point. No matter how much many people you kill, no matter how many people you incarcerate, the bottom line is that change is inevitable, and that's what we have to fundamentally understand. The struggle for people is that if we're going to minimize the number of potential casualties, then we must have organization. It's that simple. And in closing, Brother Africa, I always encourage people to unravel the matrix. It's key in terms of withstanding all these problems that we that we contend with on a daily basis. Without that organization in terms of confronting the issues that we are confronted with, then the bottom line is that they win, we lose. We can't afford them to do that. Let's get organized. Brother Africa, have a good night. And you do the same, Brother Haki, and to our listening audience. Uh, we also would like to remind you and say, um, send our best wishes to our panelists and analysts who normally join us on Sunday evening, Brother Anthony. He's on vacation right now visiting his biological family. They have a family reunion. We wish the best for him. We hope to see him next week. 
And, of course, when we talk about organization, uh, we just remind you about his organization, the All-African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC. And if you want to make a contribution to your people and get organized, we encourage you to take a look at that organization. You can go to our website at www.a-aprop-gc.org. Check out the organization. And once you find out about it, you might understand that um, this is the kind of organization you'd like to be a member of. Check it out. We'll be looking forward to having Anthony back next week. In closing tonight, we just remind you again that upcoming Freedom Ride trip to Cuba will be from January 23rd to the 30th with the African Awareness Association under, the, under that banner. Come and join us for more information. You email them or email us. You can email the African Awareness Association by emailing African Awareness Association to gmail.com. Also, we'd like to remind you that this show comes on every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, tune in next week as we continue this particular program, Part 2, on news you can use and more. And like always, we may not give you what you want, but we try to do the best to give you what you need. We're going to sit in the seat and we're going to take the heat because as we define it, we stand behind it. We just a little, little nobody trying to be somebody. We want to make our contribution to our people. And one of the best ways we can do this is to give you information. Because while information you cannot thank and while organization you cannot thank clearly. With those two tools, once properly, properly used and understood, all things are possible through organization. So until so next time, if you'd like to support the station, because we are financial um, challenge. Uh, in terms of resources, you can help us at cash, capital L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small b. We will greatly appreciate your contributions. And like always, spread the word and let's build this audience. And you can do that just by sharing this particular program with your network. Until next time, like always, we can go forward back with Neville and remind you that we know that Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa and the scientific socialism is the key. It will set all Africans free. Until next time, we'll see you next week. We'll leave you with some music or inspiration for the next 15 minutes. This has been Brother Africa, and you have been listening to Africa on the move. And remember, not yet Yuhuru. We are not yet free. We are still struggling for our freedom. Now little Africa.
Oh, 
America. 
black man? Go on and get a cat scan. I had chain wrap too straight, too tight. We get a backhand. There ain't no Batman in this black land. I wish a rich nigga would come and save the day and pave the way. Ain't no amazing grace. I blaze the haze to remain the faith. 20 years been my medicine, but they want to throw me away for that. Then turn around and legalize it. I wish being black was truly accepted. 400-year elephant in the room. This ain't a new deal. They've been treating us like animals. We in a zoo still. So let me tell you how I feel. Guilty conscience trumps common sense every day, y'all. Ignore the issues, look at the victim like it's their fault. As if a wagon ain't harassing, waiting for jaywalkers in front of the building, minding your business. You was trying to pay your bills as if that wasn't to mention. Conjunction, junction, tell me what's your intention. Don't call him king, then treat him like some common folk. You a fighter like Ronda Rose. Rousey move around the rope. Drowsy with a cloud of smoke. Howdy do for Maui, bro. Traveling around the globe, you didn't know, but now you know. Early morning rising, my end of a long kick in. Birdman hand rubs, feeling my palms itching. I need a spiritual thought with top that's top notch. We watch black power docs and study our chakras. Ooh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. And we gon' have a ticket and fly on out of here, fly on out. Ooh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. Oh dear black man, tell me what happened You can't be low when your glow's everlasting Then when your ass been on ass been like a has been Raising the trap when the gods talk math and moves with a max in Not that nigga back then, but look now nigga I'm established, cut camera action I cut lines with my sad card, my bitch is packing Then I'm cutting in line with a bad boy, they caught him flagging Then huddle around him with a stat chart look You stay awake up feeling better than I ever been Check out my melanin, it's now the makeup for the mannequin That wants to be the same as the slave on the sedative You kill culture, I give knowledge, I spit stylish Crane kicks and Balenciagas and speaking science And bodegas that grow flavors was taught language Was taught to talk with the razor from having Spanish neighbors I fought the haters, court cases and lost paper Educated killers walking no ladies cross the street Turn back around, walk across and sell hard to a fee No turning back now, rent due and your kids gotta eat yeah. Black man rooted deep with the blood of a king Yeah, Black man roses arose from the cold concrete I eat, walk, talk, gritty Snitches get buck fifty Slice buck fifty, both get cut quickly until they free Goldie. Nobody can fuck Talk with about me. Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. So we gon' cop a ticket and fly on out of here, fly on out. Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. Black became beautiful, then made America great again. See the page of history or see the grave and hate again. I'm from New York, the last state to free the slaves, and now we getting to the point where they rebooting Martin Payne and them. Black man, switch it up, just to be versatile. Why you always mean mugging? Man, it never hurts to smile. Make a record, break a record, get the record straight. I'm just trying to get it going, I'm trying to accelerate. Life alert. Welcome to my world, live and living color, stay low, word to J-Lo, out here with my fly girl, black man. 
black man They give you whack answers They robbing you with Batman They give you Black Panther When all our people dying They think that we need a movie But the box office don't break off The descendants of Huey Think about it I'm cooler than a Coca-Cola polar bear Hold up, roll up something potent Right before we go in there Maroon Customs support that shit that touches the streets Puffing a leaf on a corner that gave me nothing but grief Don't come around my way if your whole message is how much you got If you ain't got no fucking shot, then don't touch the fucking rock Lucy's still 50 cent, cool what kind of blunts you got You can lock a few niggas for hustling, but nothing stops The judge just makes a hero And a young black boy lose their fucking pops And go on a robbing spree like fuck the ops Phone out of battery, black mirror, word the Windex King of the table of contents, human index I handle everything myself, the one-man quintet. Let's take it where it hasn't been yet. Dear black man, worth life. One take. Fuck you.
crying out for justice. Everyone is crying out for peace. Yeah. None is crying out for justice. I don't want no Fighting for it, equal rights. 
Texas, down in Angola, people rock. And Texas, down in Botswana, people rock. And Texas, down in Zimbabwe, people of this brother and he's still blazing a trail even to death so he has an eternal flame his flame don't burn out some of y'all flames burn out his flame is still strong let us all get on our feet please and let's give a warm round of applause to a great hero all the way from guinea all the way from the mother country our brother our friend brother Kwame Ture brother Kwame Ture as he comes down, let's give it up as he comes down the aisle. Brother Kwame Ture, this is a historic occasion for us to bring our brother back again to the slave theater. Let's give a warm round of applause to our brother, Brother Kwame Ture, who's been on the fire line, who shook up America in 1966 when he hollered, Black Power! Black power, 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 black power. Black power, black power, black power. What time is it? What time is it? What time is it? What time is it? All right, brother Kwame Ture, let's give it up, brother Kwame Ture. I want to thank you for your warm welcome. You must excuse us for uh, sitting, but we have uh, some pain in our legs. <coughs> and uh, we're trying as much as possible to stay off of it while we're doing some tests with the uh, doctors. 
Of course, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party is always happy to be with the United African Movement. Uh, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party is always happy to be with the United African Movement. And uh, there are three, members of, uh, three other members of our Central Committee who are present. Uh, Brother Ron Gibbs is here, no? Brother Ron Gibbs is here, yes. Sister Mawina Kuyate, who's also the head of the All-African Women's Revolutionary Union. And of course, we're always proud of our living history. Uh, his brother, who has uh, come through many struggles, was the chair of the Black Panther Party in New York during the rough times and since joined the All-African People's Revolutionary Party. I've had the honor of working with him for almost 30 years, a member of our Central Committee, the youngest member, David Brothers. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, of course, we are always uh, honored to be with uh, United African Movement because the world is divided into many, many different categories. But one of the categories which interests those of us who are concerned with advancing humanity the most is that between the conscious and the unconscious. This uh, division between the conscious and the unconscious must be properly understood. The people instinctively love freedom and they will instinctively fight for freedom. But you cannot win freedom on instincts. You can only win freedom on reason. Therefore, the unconscious are those who react on instinct. The conscious are those who react on reason. The job of the conscious is to make the unconscious conscious. Let us make a simple example. I think it was in 1992, after one more brutal beatings too many, the African population in Los Angeles, California revolted, rose up in righteous rebellion. This was instinctively revolutionary. Instinctively in the sense that it wasn't planned. Instinctive in the sense that it was this reaction to brutality. And this instinctive revolutionary act was very costly to American capitalism. It even had to bring in the American army, very costly. But since it was on instinct, it had no reason, nothing to direct it, it would spin itself out. Those who participated were largely unconscious. We must come to understand that the overwhelming majority of our people are unconscious. But just because they're unconscious, you shouldn't think they don't want freedom. As a matter of fact, sometimes the unconscious is quicker willing to give their lives in struggle than the conscious. These are simple facts. Would you imagine what it would be like when we are conscious rebellious, when we consciously organize to rebel in Los Angeles with reason? I mean making supply lines, making sure armaments are there, having hospital aids, having fire brigades, just like they do even in Ireland, nothing big, just a little planning. Just a little planning. This is what we want to speak to you about this evening. Making the unconscious conscious.
Now we must say from the very beginning, the only, underline the word only, the only route to consciousness is through struggle. Now for example, we've shown you the unconscious struggle. Those who rose up in righteous rebellion against the state police in Los Angeles, they were, they were consciously involved in struggle. They were involved in struggle, unconscious but involved in struggle. The conscious must understand precisely what their task is, and we've said this two years ago here, we repeat it. Ours is not to teach the people to be conscious, but to make them conscious of their unconscious behavior. Our task is not to teach the conscious to be, to teach the unconscious to be conscious, but to make them conscious of their unconscious behavior. Because unconsciously, instinctively, they seek freedom. What we must do is make them conscious. Look, you want freedom anyway. Let's be serious. Let's sit down. Let's plan it. Let's wait protracted war. And let's tear down the system and walk on to liberation. It's as simple as that. This aspect of the unconscious becoming conscious is linked to mobilization and organization. Something we mentioned last year. We must make clear distinctions between mobilizers and organizers. To be an organizer, you must be a mobilizer. But being a mobilizer doesn't make you an organizer. Much confusion is to be found here. Malcolm X was a great mobilizer. He was a great organizer. Martin Luther King was a great mobilizer. He was not a great organizer. These facts can be easily seen from King and Malcolm. When Malcolm went to a place, he left a mosque. When King went to demonstrations, he broke down desegregation and he moved on. As a matter of fact, King was not concerned with organization to the point that even though he was the most popular Baptist preacher in America without the shadow of a doubt, and probably beyond the shadow of a doubt the most loved, he could not become president of the Baptist, National Baptist uh, Convention. Yeah, so many of them. The National Baptist Convention. <laughs> As a matter of fact, if my memory serves me correctly now, and I remember it was Mohammed Speaks that uh, carried the article on the front page in 1964 when King tried to become president of the National uh, Baptist Convention, there was so much confusion there that a minister was actually put, pushed off the stage and died in the trouble. Yeah. And of course, King lost. The man who won was a reactionary man by the name of Jackson. He never did nothing for the people, never cared about the people, just was a pork chop minister who used their money to put gas in his big Cadillac. But he was organized. But he was organized. We say that we must come to know the difference between mobilization and organization because the enemy will use mobilization to demobilize us. Mobilization is very easy. Very, very easy. Because since we're people who are instinctively ready to respond against acts of injustice, anytime there's one little act of injustice, we can blow it up and we'll find people who come and make some mass demonstration around it. Miss Sally lost her job. Let's rally. She'll get her job back. People will come and rally. So-and-so got kicked out of school because the teachers unjust. The unjust, the people will come and rally. They will come to rally at issues. And this is what mobilization does. It mobilizes people around issues. Those of us who are revolutionary are not concerned with issues. We're concerned with the system. 
The difference must be properly understood. The difference must be properly understood. Mobilization usually leads to reform action, not to revolutionary action. If we would look scientifically at the October 16th million and more march, we would see clearly that this was a mobilized event, not an organized event. We must know clearly the difference between mobilization and organization. One of the characteristics of mobilization is that it is temporary. Organization is permanent and eternal. Clear differences must be made because the unconscious can usually be captured easily around one issue items, around mobilization items, but it's hard to catch them around organization. But these unconscious must be brought to organization. We must transform mobilization to organization. We say the enemy will come and use mobilization to demobilize us. Many brothers and sisters who've been to the Million and More March will say to you, I was there. Well, what are you doing today, my sister? I was there. There weren't too many sisters out there, but you know, with a million brothers together, you know where I had to be. I was there. <laughs> and then, of course, you find brothers, yeah, I was there, I was there. I helped you. What are you doing today, brother? If we're not careful, we allow mobilization to become events. The struggle is never an event. It's a process, a continual, eternal process. We say it is our job to use mobilization to drive us to organization. You know our theme is organization. We want power. We don't want money. We don't want fame. We don't want fortune. We don't want popularity. We want power. Power. And power comes only from the organized masses. Power comes only from the organized masses. Therefore, since this is what we're concerned with, power, and we as a Pan-Africanist, we have every right to be concerned with it. Africa, after all, is the richest continent on the face of the earth. Properly organized should be the most powerful continent on the face of the earth. Therefore, our drive towards power is clear. We want power, and we can only have power through the organized masses. Of course, capitalism, a system which in deforming our thinking always seeks to make it appear as if the organized masses is some unattainable goal. Even the other day when speaking to a sister who, uh, sister who's been involved in uh, activities over a period of years, she said, uh, Kwame Ture, uh, so you when you say a mass party, what do you mean? I said, I mean a mass party. She said, but the APRP goes everywhere in England, they go in the Caribbean, in, uh, uh, in, uh, in the United States, in Africa, and they're always saying about a mass party. What do you mean? I said, every African in the world inside our party. She said, are you going to get that? I said, that's what I'm working for. And if I don't get it, my granddaughter going to get it. But I'm working for it. <clears throat> Her disbelief comes from the fact that capitalism tells us that, well, you can be scientific about everything except human nature. That people are so different, they have such different tastes, such different ta-la-la-la, that you can't bring them together under the same roof. This is a lie. We will never tire of saying it. Capitalism does not lie some of the time. It lies all of the time. 
when it tells the truth, it's a result of a double lie. <coughs> it's a logical fact. It's a logical fact. So capitalism has this belief that you can't organize all the people around the same thing. That's not true. You can organize all the people around one thing, truth. Now, what capitalism will try to make it appear as if the truth is not one truth, but anybody can have the truth. This is stupidity. Nobody's born with the truth inside of them. If they were, they wouldn't need to live. We come to know the truth from outside of us. Some people think that they know the truth because they were born to know the truth. That's a lie. You know the truth from constant struggle against lies. That's how you know the truth. Constant struggle against lies. For example, they try to make it appear as if we Africans will not arrive at uniting ourselves even around, even the question around our identity. Well, you may call some of them Africans, but some call themselves black, some still call themselves colored, some, that's fact, they do that. But this is because they've been miseducated by a system which seeks to keep us divided, and this is the truth. And this is the truth. Obviously, we cannot be, all of us, so many different things. We must be one thing. Of course, for our party, there's no question. As for the United African Movement, we're Africans. End of discussion. End of discussion. This struggle is not an easy struggle. The struggle to go from Negro to black was a difficult struggle. Capitalism did everything to roll it back. Even had us confused. I'm not black, look at me, I'm brown colored. Yes. I'm not black, I got Indian blood in me. Oh. What nonsense they didn't have us say, just to run away from the truth. We told them then, it is more difficult to go from Negro to black than it is to go from black to African. Many people criticized us for our efforts. Oh, in the 1970s, we had our last press conference, we said, we're going to put the word Africans on the lip of every African in America and we're not going to use the capitalist media press. And we have done it and we have not used the capitalist media press. As a matter of fact, the capitalist media press, in trying to stop us from going to Africans in America, tried to throw out African Americans. They did it. We saw the whole scene. It's our job. We followed it carefully. Of course, they want to say African-Americans, of course, that keeps us exactly where we are. If you're African-American, you're obviously not the same like an African-Kenyan. And certainly not the same like an African-Brazilian. And certainly not the same like an African-Trinidadian, etc., etc., etc. But once you're just African, ain't no question. Ain't no question. You African, yeah, where you were born? Trinidad. You African, yeah, where were you born? Uganda. You African, yeah, where were you born? Egypt. You African, yeah, all Africans. Once you have proper identity, one of your biggest problems is solved. Because a people must know their national interests. A people must have a clear understanding of their national interest. 
The job of American imperialism is to let us think that our national interest is within the confines of American imperialism. That's why black American, African American, anything but make sure they hold on to America. When the conscious comes to understand that the Africans born in America, Africans living in America, their whole outlook changes completely. America no longer becomes their world. Of course, it's a difficult task because America convinced everyone that she is the world. I'm sometimes amazed when I come in this country and hear them say world news. Here they come. World news. Today, President Clinton said... <clears throat> World news. Today, Newt Greenwich said, World news. Those who's running for president can't. It's like, you know, it's like their World Football Association. No, nobody played but them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, the first conscious act in organizing our people is to let them know who they are. If you think you're an American, you will fight to protect the interests of capitalist America. If you know you ain't no American, you fight to destroy every aspect of American capitalism. <laughs> Our people have been unconsciously moving towards Africa. You know, I am uh, very fortunate. I spend a lot of time with our people, and I always stay with the poor. I stay with the poor. Because the poor, they are pure. I mean, the poor will fight and give their lives for positions which they are incapable of occupying. They shock me sometimes with their naivety and their honesty. No wonder they can so easily be exploited. I remember one sitting in Ghana at the house of uh, Agba Mohammed, who's the uh, international representative of the Nation of Islam. And uh, there was a lot of people in the house, so I walked outside in the gate, and I sat down, there's a little kennel there, and a concrete, I sat down by the kennel. The gardener next door came and sat down next to me. We began talking. So we talked naturally about Ghana. We talked about Ghana, we talked about Nkrumah. So after a while he said, were you born in Ghana? Are you Ghanaian? I said, no, I wasn't born in Ghana. I just live in Guinea. He said, but you know a lot about uh, Ghana. I said, well, yeah, I did a lot of study of the Ghana Revolution. I didn't tell him that I was the... Uh, political secretary of Kwame Nkrumah when Nkrumah was co-president in Guinea. I didn't even tell him who I was. You know, it, Kwame Ture meant nothing to him, just another name. After talking with the man for about half an hour, you know what the man said to me? He doesn't even know me now. He said, you know what? He said, listen, I only went to third standard. That's like about third grade. He said, I don't have no education, but people like me, we could fight and put people like you in power and you'll help us. Yes. I've seen it everywhere. In the South, I used to see people die for positions they couldn't occupy. As a matter of fact, people who couldn't get to the university died so students who had the ability could get to the university. People who couldn't vote died for people to become mayors. It is these pure poor that we must be concerned with. These are the ones we must organize. These are the real makers of history. Forget the ones who are always talking and doing nothing. Get the poor, the pure. What's their movement? The instincts are always correct. Our people have been unconsciously moving more and more towards Africa. Of that there isn't the slightest question. I saw it years ago. 
In the mid-1970s, I was going through Mississippi. I'd spent the 60s there and visited a sister whom I know was very active in the movement. She'd now been married and had a child. So the husband and her were very excited. They wanted to show me the child, as any uh, parents would be. And of course, me too, I was excited because I knew it was a little girl. I wanted to see uh, my granddaughter, if you will. So uh, when she came, I held the door. I said, what's the name? She said, uh, Ajola. I said, Ajola? She said, yes. I said, what does it mean? She said, I don't know. I just made it up. Does it sound African? <laughs> this was in the mid-1970s in Mississippi. I remember in the 1970s, late 1970s, I saw a young man. He was wearing a red, black, and green jacket. I stopped the man, young boy. I said, young blood, what's this uh, red, black, and green? He said, those are our colors. I said, what do you mean, our colors? He said, man, these are our colors. You don't know our colors? I said, no, what do you mean, our colors? He said, man, red for blood, green for the lamb, black for us. You don't know this? I said, no, I don't know this. He said, man, where are you coming from? He started to walk away. I said, brother, have you ever heard of a man called Marcus Garvey? He said, Marcus Garvey, who is he? I said, he's the one who gave you the colors. <laughs> the unconscious are moving towards Africa. It is job of the conscious to make them conscious of their unconscious actions. Since our people are moving towards Africa, it behooves us clearly to come seriously and to organize properly this movement and putting Africa as its primary. This is the job of the conscious. But the conscious gets their sustenance from the unconscious. I am certain that most of the brothers and sisters attending the Million and More March were unconscious. Unconscious in the sense that they do not consciously try to develop themselves in a systematically basis, on a day-to-day -day basis, to make a contribution to the people. But the milieu which that unconscious mass created now makes it possible for the conscious mass to make this unconscious mass quickly conscious. Quickly conscious. And this is our task. I had the honor, when working for the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee in 1968 in Washington, D.C., after having served as one year as the chair of the organization, of being with the stick team that helped develop the first black united front in this country. It came out of Washington, D.C. It was well organized. After leaving for Africa, and uh, much confusion, mainly with the infusion of money into the Black United Front, the front fell apart. Moving to the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, we have done everything in our possibility to create an African United Front. What do we mean by an African United Front? We are saying that those organizations which are politically on the front lines fighting for our people, like the NAACP, like the Urban League, like the Nation of Islam, etc., etc., should come together and form a united front. This united front is a very simple thing now, a very simple task. All it means is that we come together and have common meetings. And if we hear one attacking the other newspaper, we don't respond to the newspaper. We telephone each other and ask them. Our party has been doing much work on this. Because we're among comrades who work, we will give you some of our files, which is not made public. Only here are we doing so. The Nation of Islam was an observer at the 
Washington, D.C. Black United Front. Although invited to join, they felt that at that time they wanted to observe. They were allowed full participation except voting, which they themselves accepted as observers. That is, they could fully participate in every level of the discussion. When the United Front broke up, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party quickly moved to put together a United Front. We had brought together Mr. Roy Wilkins, who was alive at that time. This was in 1972. Uh, Vernon Jordan. Who was before Vernon Jordan? The one who died in Africa. Whitney Young. No, it was jo I'm sorry, Whitney Young had died, it's correct. It was Vernon Jordan. Vernon Jordan was then at the Urban League. Of course, uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was alive, and he was sending uh, Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan as his representative. Jesse Jackson was representing Push. Dorothy Hyde, the uh, National Council of Negro Women. Reverend uh, Abernathy, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, in his core, and we represented the All-African People's Revolutionary Party. My brothers and sisters, I'll tell you the truth. You must never get discouraged in struggle. You will build something and the enemy will knock it down. And you'll have to start from zero. But as we say in our party, we're starting from a higher qualified zero. You must never be discouraged in struggle. As a matter of fact, the easiest way for the enemy to take you out is to make you frustrated and disgusted. Oh, I went to that meeting. They ain't doing nothing. I ain't got no time for them. Until they get serious, I ain't going there. What you doing? I ain't doing nothing. And they really think that they're intelligent. They think they've made a great statement. So you must not be discouraged, but the enemy's job is to discourage us. We did a lot of work trying to get that meeting together. A lot of work. A lot of work. And because of a Zionist plot, because of a Zionist plot, they wrecked the entire meeting in 48 hours. The meeting was wrecked, but we were not. <laughs> and we are revolutionaries. You knock it down, we're coming back stronger. We accepted defeat, we licked our wounds, we pursued our battle. We continued with this aspect of it. During that time, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad passed. Before his death, you know, death has robbed me of so many things in life. Really has, really has. The most recent one was I have a brother who's in jail in uh, Florida for killing a white policeman. Uh, this brother has been isolated in jail. Nobody writes him, uh, so he has a lot of problems. and. Uh, his father and I knew each other from struggling days back in the 60s in Dayton. Asked me to write him. I wrote him. So you know when brothers are in jail, they ain't got nothing to do. So he writes me a letter every day. And uh, I respond to all his letters because he's in jail, you know. And uh, last year, when uh, speaking on telephone, I told him, I think I have everything careful. I I'm going to speak to uh, Bill Kunstler, and I'm sure Bill Kunstler will look at the case. In March of last year, I had lunch with Bill Kunstler and, uh, in New York here, and Bill Kunstler agreed to take the case. And he said, but you know, I'm just a little bit busy now. Give me about two or three months, and then send me a letter, and I'll pick up the case. So I waited two or three months, and when I wrote the letter, before the letter arrived, uh, Kunstler was dead. 
So death has robbed me of many uh, political victories in life and created more work for me. But I'm a revolutionary. I accept it because I know my death is going to create a lot of work for others. <laughs> so it's robbed me of a lot. The Honorable Elijah's, uh, Mohammed's death robbed me of a, robbed the All African Peace Revolution Party of a golden chance to uh, create the United Front. Of course, you know, when the Nation of Islam came up, there was first uh, Wallace Dean Mohammed, the son of the uh, Honorable Elijah Mohammed, and then, you know, there was a little uh, discussion, and uh, finally, uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan decided to uh, return with the original uh, theories and actions of the Honorable Elijah Mohammed. When Minister Louis Farrakhan first came out, of course, now let's let you know, I've known Minister Louis Farrakhan for over 30 years and worked with him for over 30 years. Of course, we're not in the press all the time, but we're in contact all the time. And uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan and I discussed much, step by step. Of course, the only thing I had in my mind was the African United Front. That's all I want. And uh, Minister Farrakhan said, okay, he sees it, he understands it, but he needs to get a little bit stronger. Fine. In uh, 1982, I, our party made an assessment, and uh, we said, okay, the nation of Islam is strong enough now to do the work for the African United Front. We cannot do it the All-African People's Revolutionary Party because uh, from the time they see us, we tell them we're revolutionary, we're socialist, we ain't bending, we're anti-Zionist, you can do what you want, that's your problem. Yes, and so we don't bend, but the Honorable uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan, he's charming and, you know, he's sentimental. Minister can quote Bibles so he can sit down with preachers and all these others, etc. So after observing his movements, uh, the African People's Revolutionary Party mandated me to go and uh, visit uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan and to give him the uh, files of the African United Front and tell him that it was his responsibility to call the front. Of course, it was a task that I enjoyed undertaking. I hadn't seen him in some time, and uh, I had a beautiful day. We spent the entire day at his house there in Chicago. You know, he just uh, separated uh, from uh, uh, Dean Wallace Muhammad and his force had been coming back. And uh, I took for him some old copies of Muhammad Speaks. Now, if you look at the old copies of Muhammad Speaks, every middle page that you open had two black hands reaching across the oceans calling for a united front. Every, uh, every issue of Mohammed Speaks. We must know our history. And we must never be ungrateful to those who taught us. The Honorable Elijah Mohammed has taught me an awful lot. And I know he's taught our people an awful lot. And for that alone, I'll be forever grateful to him. <laughs> Minister Farrakhan agreed to take the program. He had no choice. I told him, this is your program. This is what your leader says you're supposed to do. Hey, my leader is your leader. And you say you're following his footsteps, you know, and he was getting ready to do it. He didn't do it. Here's your chance. You're supposed to do what he didn't do, you know. So, of course, Farrakhan had no choice. He had to accept it. We were well prepared. Everything was in proper order to have, finally, once again, our African United Front. By 19, uh, when was uh, Jesse first talking about running for president? Was well, 1984. 83 was announced. When did uh, Farrakhan make the alliance with him? November 83. So by 82, I left me. I went back to Africa. Everything was moving. I was in contact with uh, Minister Farrakhan. Our party people in contact, feeding us step by step. I came back uh, in early 1983. 
I met with uh, Minister Farrakhan. I explained to him uh, precisely the steps that we thought we could help in bringing the African United Front together. After some time, he asked that we have a meeting late in the year, probably around September, October. I'm telling the truth exactly what was said at the meeting. Minister Farrakhan said to me, he said, uh, at that time, uh, Jesse Jackson had declared he was going to run for presidency, and he was under a lot of threats, you know. And I certainly thought that some crazy whitey was going to pop him, you know. But I have no problem with it. My life is on the line all the time. I put my life on the line for one thing. You put your life on the line for another thing. I ain't got no problem with it. You know, so Minister Louis Farrakhan came to see me. He said, you know, and he's very clever, Minister Farrakhan. He's very clever. When he's already, he wants to soften up, he comes, he always plays that violin for you. Oh, Brother Kwame, you're my younger brother. But you know you are so profound in political analysis. You surpass us all that even though I am your older brother, I must come and seek advice from you. <laughs> he's rough, you know, he's rough on that violin. <laughs> he sings some sweet songs on that violin. <laughs> So, of course, after seeking my advice, he came to seek my advice. He said, I want to make a decision. I said, what's that decision? He said, I want to put the FOI at uh, the disposition of Jesse Jackson to protect him. I said, well, if you want to do that, that's your decision. He said, well, you don't seem enthusiastic about it. I said, well, I'm not. <laughs> he said, well, uh, Jesse Jackson might get killed. I said, he probably will get killed. He said, don't you think we need to protect him? I said, that's your decision. It's your FOI. You know, he said, so now he saw that it was getting serious. He said, uh, you know, he's clever, he's clever. Because he'll switch on you fast. You know, if you, know, if you don't switch with him, you'll be in back gear while he's in front gear. You're already saying yes when you start, thought you were saying no. Yeah, he's rough. He said, well, uh, I bet if you were uh, being hounded and attacked by uh, people, you'd want the FOI to protect you. I reminded him very slowly and very carefully, Minister Farrakhan, when I was elected chair of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, the first public meeting I had as chair was a meeting with the Honorable Elijah Mohammed in his house in Chicago, where I spent 15 hours. In fact, it was here that I met Mohammed Ali for the first time. This is way back. This is before, well, all you old people, so yeah, before you were born. We were talking about 1966 here, easily. 30 years ago, yeah. At the end of the meeting, of course, you know I'm a young man. I'm, I'm 26 years old at this time, you know, 26. I've heard the Honorable Elijah Muhammad all my life. What am I going to say to this man? This man used to raise me up, you understand? This man taught me things, gave me courage. I said, he's saying that on the radio? Is he crazy? Yeah, he's a white devil. That's what I said. They ain't nothing but white devils. That's what they, yeah. Yes. He'd tell the truth right out there. He wouldn't bite his tongue for nothing. You know, and uh, I reminded uh, Honorable Elijah, uh, the Minister Farrakhan, I said, at the end of the day, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad looked at me. I was sitting directly across from his table. He said, son, he said, the devil wants you. I said, yes, sir. He said, son, the devil is out to get you. I said, yes, sir. He said, son, you must be careful. I said, yes, sir, I'll be very careful all my life. I've been working in a... Uh, a uh, mine pit among the enemy, and I'm older now, I have more experience, so he said, they're mean, you know, I said, yes, sir, I know they're mean. He said, they're going to get you, I said, yes, sir, he said, so, son, I'm going to put the FBI at your, the FOI at your disposition. Everywhere you go, I'm going to send out an order that the FOI must protect you. 
Now, you know, this was really too much for me, you know. So I started, I said, well, sir, thank you, you know, but you know, the FOI is so busy. I'm so busy. I'm running here and there. This will be such a task for them. Really, I thank you, sir. I really appreciate it, sir. And I, you know, I go through all this humble pie about thank you, but I don't need it. You know what he said? He said, son, I wasn't asking you. That's just what he told me. And if you go and look at pictures in the past, you see everywhere I go, the FOI was there protecting me from the 60s. You will look and you will see that. So I reminded this to Minister Louis Farrakhan. I reminded him of it. And I said, Minister Farrakhan, the FOI will protect me, but I promise you they will never protect me because I want to be President of the United States of America. They might protect me because I want to rip up America, but never because I want to be President of America. Well, he saw that uh, his clever trick didn't go so well. So he backed up again. He said, well, uh, what do you think about the alliance? I said, it's a great mistake. He said, why? I said, because uh, Jesse Jackson is a Democrat first and foremost. The Democratic Party jumps to the tunes of the Zionists. While the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee was a confrontational organization and confronted Zionism outright, the first place I read about the Palestinian struggle in this country was in the Mohammed Speaks newspaper. The Honorable Elijah Mohammed taught me about Palestine when no left-wing paper in this country did. And they talk about nationalism is chauvinism. Look at them. I saw pictures of Malcolm X shaking the hands of PLO representatives when the PLO was first organized in 1964 in Mohammed Speaks. In Mohammed Speaks. Therefore, I told him, I said, the Zionists, they hate us, but they know you the first. <laughs> so what I'm worried about is when they spoil the union and it splits. You understand? Which side of the fence you going to be on? Because I know Jesse going to be with the Zionists. Because that's the Democratic Party. I'm just brutally honest with you. I'm telling you exactly what was said between us. We had a very frank discussion. After that discussion, I told him, what about the African United Front? He said, it's still good. Of course, me, myself, if I knew would do a thing with Jesse, it was problems. But in spite of obstacles, you must do your work. In spite of obstacles, you must persevere. I said, well, I want you to meet uh, Jesse ja Jex, uh, John Jacobs of the Urban League. He said, I've never met him. I said, I'd like you to meet him. He said, you can arrange a meeting? Will he meet with me? I said, yeah, I can arrange a meeting. He'll meet with you. I arranged a meeting at Johnny Jacobs' uh, office here in New York, in Manhattan. The first time they met each other, I just sat in the background, talk, talk, talk. So well did our meeting go that Minister Louis Farrakhan and Johnny Jacobs signed a letter that day issuing a call for a united front among the political organizations in this country. We have it in our files. When the time comes, we will demonstrate this. The Urban League has a copy, Farrakhan has a copy, and Major Thatcher, Thatcher, Hatcher, Hatcher, <laughs> Hatcher from Gary has a copy because at that time he was head of the mayors. And we were working with him, of course. Uh, of course, I went back to Africa. It didn't take me long before I heard all this nonsense about gutter religion, Judaism, gutter or dirty religion or whatever, whatever. 
and uh, Jesse having to uh, split from Farrakhan and you know what happened. Of course, I knew it would happen. But when we were with uh, Jacobs, Minister Farrakhan and myself, one of the things we agreed upon was that we must have the phone numbers of each other. They didn't even have each other's phone numbers. And we must have the house phone numbers. So that when we hear something on the radio that Farrakhan said this about Jacobs, before Jacobs attacks Farrakhan, Jacob will call Farrakhan and see if what the paper says is true. We agreed to this. We did agree to this. Of course, this was not written in the letter. This was a verbal commitment. But we're brothers. We can't lie. And I'm a revolutionary. I can't lie to you. Of course, when Jesse Jackson uh, made his split and the Zionists once again, with a nice plot, did everything. Johnny Jacobs, without calling Minister Farrakhan to see if in fact he made the statement, what was the content in which the statement was made, wrote public articles condemning Minister Louis Farrakhan. Once again, Zionism had come to block and destroy the unity of the African community. We are not stopping. And the Million and More March puts us properly in a position to create a united front in this country of the political organizations, given some semblance of unity and creating some atmosphere of unity where we can come to organize our people. I must tell you, the major enemy to our unity is Zionism. I tell you this as a result of over 30 years of constant struggle to organize and unify our people. I know them every step of the way. They are the slimiest slime that imperialism has ever produced. They will do everything to keep us divided. Want to run our own concepts for us teachers. They fight to teach our children. Isn't that nice of them? Quite liberal. Quite liberal. Their job is to keep us enslaved. Their job is to control us. So that while controlling us, American imperialism and the right wing and the racist wing will be venting all their rage on us and on nobody else. But uh, we who are determined <laughs> see victory even in death. <laughs> We are going to have a united front. Our party, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, has decided to direct its attention for the next three years into two major areas. In the 1960s, when COINTELPRO broke down and destroyed many organizations, and they did, they also destroyed coordination between organizations. Thus today, there is no coordination between organizations. And people come to think that the struggle in America is not like it was in the 60s. Why, America is more ripe for revolution today than it was in the 60s. The people are more politically conscious. The conditions are worse. When you have falling conditions of rising consciousness, you've got to have an explosion. You've got to have it. Either it will be instinct which will be revolt, or either it will be reasoned and organized, which will be revolution. But you can be sure you're going to have an explosion. 
We say that people's conscience are rising more and more. Even movements that we never thought about in the 60s, like the women's movement, the ecology movement, they are spreading everywhere. The right wing in this country has made a proper shift. It no longer sees minorities as their major enemy, nor the left wing. It sees the U.S. government as their major enemy. America is more ripe for revolution today than ever before. Africans have a particular responsibility here to the struggles of their people and to their future generations in directing this struggle to be nothing other than a revolutionary struggle. I mean this in every sense of the word. If you look throughout history, as a matter of fact, uh, two days ago I was in Ohio and a journalist asked me, what do you think is the greatest contribution that the Africans have made to America? I said, help to civilize it. <laughs> it's a fact. It's a fact. I know who I am. I know I'm equal to everybody else. They don't know it. They're the ones who have to be taught it. Not me. Not me. So consequently, our job is to civilize America. If you look, this is exactly what we've been doing. Everywhere you see struggles for justice, you will see Africans out front, the first to die every time, in every battle. I mean, even go back to the American Revolution, Christmas Adams. The first to die, instead of fighting with the Indians and joining up with the Indians and whooping George Washington. That's what he should have done. And that's why we must rectify the error today. Of course, Chinese say if you make an error, you know it's an error, you don't correct the error, you've made your second error. We have to correct that error. We're always on the front lines. Look at the history of the labor movement. Africans everywhere on the front lines. Look at the peace movement. They try to make it look like a white movement, but I know it was the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee that gave the slogan, Hell no, we won't go, and broke the draft in this country. And I know it was Martin Luther King who was the center of the peace movement in the anti-Vietnam War in this country. Once again, Africans up front in the fight for justice. Anywhere you look, you will see us up front. We're unconsciously up front. It is time for us to become consciously up front. This then is the task that we come to put before you, your responsibility. Every time we come here, we tell you this is our prop, this is our responsibility here. The capitalist system has but one job through its media. Make the Africans irresponsible. Make them frivolous. Make them hate themselves make them have low esteem of themselves. Just in one word, keep them demobilized and ineffective and tools for us when we need to exploit them and to turn them against their own people. This is the plan. We have to counteract this. We have to counteract this. And the television does it 24 hours a day, non-stop. We who say we are conscious cannot speak of being tired. As a matter of fact, even as a young boy, I remember sometimes seeing my father. You know, it's true, they don't make men the way they used to make them because I'll never be the man he was. <laughs> I'll never do what he did. I can't even try. <laughs> but I would see my father coming very, very tired from working. And I'd say to him, 
Why don't you rest? He says, when I die, I will have enough time to rest. Uh, so from him, I've learned that. I'm going to work myself to death for my people. Yeah, because I can't rest now. I'm going to work myself to death for my people. I know if I can't rest now, I know I'm going to rest. <laughs> and I'm not like Martin Luther King. He sang free at last. I'm going to sing, I'm so glad I laid this burden down. <laughs> but until I lay it down, I ain't going to make one squeak about it. I'm going to carry it with my head up, just like my grandmother carried her head up on plantations. Your job as the conscious is to make our unconscious conscious of their unconscious movements. This can only be done in organization. This can only be done in organization. We repeat it over and over again. Every time you see an intelligent man, intelligent woman, they don't attack the enemy unless they have some force behind them. I sometimes look at our brothers who go to jail. By themselves, they think they're going to go to jail and take on the enemy. Me? I've been to jail many, many times in my life, all over the world. And every time I've been to jail, all I do is get one message out to one member, any member of my organization, and my task is finished. My job is finished. My organization knows I'm in jail. Either I get out, they find to get me out, they can't get me out, I'm organizing in jail. But I ain't got to worry about no courts, no judges, no lawyers. The organization going to do that. That's why you need organization. The police arrest me tonight. By the morning, I'm walking out of jail, and the police going to be in trouble. Yeah, because they're going to find, they're going to find, they're going to find, look here. Let you show you a little tactic. When America bombed Libya in 1986, a member of our Central Committee, then by the name of Bob Brown, we sent him quickly to Libya to see what was happening. He got an American passport. Now, if you got an American passport, you got the right to enter any European country and stay there for three months without a visa. You understand that? Now, these little Swiss people, because we had pictures of Gaddafi we wanted to show. We wanted to make sure we are in harmony with the work they were doing. So he had Gaddafi's pictures in his uh, briefcase. They stopped him, deported him, sent him back to France without even giving him a chance to make a telephone call. Could you imagine how crazy we were? We didn't know where the brother was. You understand? When he explained to us what happened, we had to teach the Swiss a lesson. So he gets a little lesson, no big problem. They arrested him on a Wednesday, on a Tuesday evening, deported him all that, and Wednesday we got the news. Wednesday evening we made a plan. On Thursday morning we want everyone in the party to call comrades and allies and every friend they know and have them call the Swiss embassy non-stop ask them one question why did you arrest Bob Brown that's all the Swiss embassy did no work that Thursday none whatsoever at all and the act is a legal act quite legal we did it Thursday and Friday and then on Saturday we sent them a telegram anytime you see an African anywhere in the world coming to Switzerland and he has legal papers don't mess with him he might be Bob Brown, who represents Africans who've had clashes with American capitalism in over 267 cities. We're sure the Swiss don't want any of this action. Very simple. But he's got an organization. He didn't have to make one phone call. And when anybody else goes through Switzerland, they don't mess with us at all. 
And we told him, this is just the first level. You mess with us again, we take it to a higher level. And you mess with us again, we take it to a higher level. And we can do it because we got organization. The conscious no organization. Malcolm X was a conscious brother. Before, when he was an unconscious brother, he wasn't a member of any organization. He didn't care about no organization. But Malcolm X was ready to throw a brick against the police, just like any conscious brother. He was unconscious. When Malcolm became conscious, he became a member of the Nation of Islam. And when Malcolm left the Nation of Islam, Malcolm, knowing the necessity of organizations, created two organizations, the Muslim Mosque Incorporated and the Organization of African American Unity. Malcolm X knew the necessity of organization. Our people have only one stage left in their struggle, and that is mass organization. It's the only stage left. We, uh, of course, you know, you learn in many, many different ways. And one of the slowest ways of learning is one known as method of elimination. Method of elimination means you try that, it didn't work. You try that, it didn't work. You try that, it didn't work. While it's the slowest way of learning, it's the surest. And we have tried everything except mass organization. The Fifth Pan-African Congress, held in 1945, called on Africans all over the world to have mass movements. You know Africa, as she's held in racism today all over the world, even Africans do not know the contributions which Africa has made to world civilization in the past or which she continues to make in the present. One of Africa's great contributions to world revolutionary movements is the mass party. We have a mass character to our struggle. In 1945, at the Fifth Pan-African Congress, the delegates there issued a resolution. They said, we are in the final confrontation with colonialism and racism. We call for mass parties to be set up in Africa, throughout the Caribbean, and mass movement in England and in the United States. Do you know that by 19... Now, this meeting was held in 1945. By 1952, Supreme Court decision was ready, and by 1956, Martin Luther King had hit Montgomery with a mass movement. If you look throughout Africa, the length and breadth of Africa, the independent struggle was nothing less than a mass struggle. In the Caribbean, mass struggle. In Britain, when we rise up there, mass struggle. And in America, unconscious as we are, at least we know we only rise up when the masses are instinctively ready. Mass struggle everywhere. Therefore, we already have the character of mass struggle. Our task is to take this character and make it permanent into mass organization. We are going to organize the masses of our people. I want you to know that. I want you to know that in spite of yourself, you're going to organize the masses of your people. Because your culture is so strong that in spite of you, it will defeat American imperialist culture. I'll give you one simple example. Imperialism, seeing this mass character of the African movement in the 1960s, had to do everything possible in the 1970s to go quickly to an individualism. Me thing, my thing, I, I, me, me, my, my, individual. They made a whole lot of propaganda about it. 
And of course, they had to have the art reflect this. Therefore, they were serious. They didn't play. They broke up the Beatles. They broke up the Supremes. They broke up the Jackson Fives. They broke up everybody. You could be, there could be three Jacksons, but there couldn't be three Jackson brothers. They had to be each of them their own superstar, individual by themselves. This was to reflect this individual culture so that it would see, oh yeah, everybody's superstar, so this communal thing ain't going. I guess we all got to be superstars and everybody trying to be a superstar. Because they don't play now. They don't play. But African culture, dig this. Alpha's has already broken down this individual garbage, even though the artists who are doing it were unconscious of it. Certainly while rap has given us a lot of conscious artists, it has produced a lot of rubbish too. This is a fact. This is a fact. And even they who had this rubbish, while they were showing rubbish, they were showing communal activity. They were showing communal groups. It was no longer the one, and they were showing once again Africa, call and response, call and response. That's which they tried to destroy in our culture. So there's victory for us now. I want you to know we're going to win in spite of ourselves. We are going to organize in spite of ourselves. The Honorable Marcus Garvey said, organize your people. Organize your people. Organize your people. Organize your people. If you don't organize them, conditions will organize them. And the conditions are here. We must be one step ahead of it. We come again to speak of organization. That's the only task we have before us. Our party's going to heighten its task for United Fronts, but we ask you, the United African Movement, to heighten your task. We must take lessons here from people. Martin Luther King was a great man, taught me a lot. But one of the greatest things Martin Luther King taught me was humility and using the nonviolent spirit within the African community. Martin Luther King was a living example of this. He was attacked by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He was attacked by Malcolm X. He was attacked by Minister Louis Farrakhan. He was attacked by Roy Wilkins. He was attacked by Whitney Young. He was attacked by the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. I myself attacked him. But Dr. King never attacked any of us. Never. Never. Malcolm X recognized this error. When he came back to form the Organization of African American Unity, he said, I've said a lot of mean and evil things about a lot of people. I hope they can forgive me. I made an error. I want us to work in a spirit of unity and harmony, and we must do this. The masses have demonstrated to us by the million or more march that they want unity. That's the message they sent. This is the message the unconscious sends to the conscious, and they do this unconsciously. Therefore, we have a responsibility to do this. The United African Movement must come and make serious moves to bring a united front of all the political organizations fighting for the people in New York City. All that is stopping us from undertaking this task is will and determination. The task is not an easy task, but we're revolutionaries. We don't look for easy struggle. I mean, who looks for an easy struggle? Somebody who don't want to struggle. 
Somebody don't want to struggle. Look for you can struggle. You want to struggle? Give me the most difficult. Yeah, that's why we didn't stick. Y'all want to struggle? Yeah. Well, take Georgia, Mississippi. That's the worst one. We want struggle. That's where we're going. We want struggle. We want the most difficult struggle. The United African Movement has a responsibility to do this. It has conscious elements. It has a constant base, a secured base, independent base. There's no reason why it should not be the leader in calling for this, going to meetings, preaching, and begging people to come to unify with each other. The All-African People's Revolutionary Party will never tire in this task. We've already drawn up our plans for our second, our next attack for the United Front. Meetings are already being scheduled for me with different people whom we have to see, who we feel can play key postures in bringing about this United Front. But the conscious must learn one thing. Sometimes the conscious have on their own to try and decide what is the movement of the unconscious? What are their aspirations? But when the unconscious speak and tell you, it is your responsibility to implement it. When the conscious, the unconscious tell us, with a million or more people, that they want unity, then the conscious has a responsibility to implement unity. If they do not, they should be charged with negligence and should be shot in the morning for betraying their people. Some people think traitors are those who do something against the movement. You can betray the movement by not doing something for the movement. This must be properly understood. Of course, you know we say it all the time because of the truth. We in the African Revolution are so weak. I mean, we really are weak. We are the only revolution, the only movement that allow traitors to strut in our communities with impunity. It is a level of weakness. The one that pains me the most, especially one who's always on the front lines, is that we have to leave our wounded on the battlefield to be picked by vultures. We have prisoners of wars in prisons in America all over, and we cannot even support their families, and they're in jail for us. These are facts. These are facts. If we care about building a movement, we come to address the movement seriously. Seriously. The other day I had to write Brother Sudiata Akoli a letter. I was ashamed. I was ashamed. We haven't even done anything for his family. Any liberation movement, you're a fighter, you get wounded, the first thing the liberation movement do is come to support the family. This is how weak we are. But we ain't going to be weak always. And the faster we work to get strength, the quicker we will arrive at strength. I say sometimes we have to try and figure out what the unconscious wants. But once the unconscious tells you, then you have a responsibility to do it. And if you don't do it, you've betrayed the movement. All that the Million and More March has told me is that they want unity. Hitler said, tell the truth, a tell a lie a million times and the people will come to think it's the truth. Revolutionaries say, tell the truth a couple of times, you will smash a million lies. And that's exactly what the million and more march did. That's exactly what it is. 
If you would look at the lies of the capitalist media, you would think all we're concerned about is drug addicts shooting each other, crime, raping each other, ripping off each other, and concerned about civil insecurity. October 16th, one day put all those lies in the garbage can forever. Do not think that capitalism takes defeat laying down. They're going to climb back out of the garbage can. They're going to wash themselves off, give themselves another scent and odor, and infiltrate in another area of the movement. Do not think that capitalism, when they saw the million and more march, just sat down like the rest of them and said, oh, it's a nice march. They said, this is serious out here. They said, we cannot play with this. That's precisely what they said. And on October 15th, they started heightening up their organization. What have we done? We must heighten our organizations. It is only in unity that we will defeat the enemy, and the enemy will be defeated, therefore we will be unified. Kwame Nkrumah precisely said, unity presupposes organization. You know, many brothers and sisters think they're in unity with the people and they don't belong to no organization at all. All the time. Oh, I'm, 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 what organization do you belong to? I belong to no organization, but I'm in unity with the brothers and sisters. Unity presupposes organization. If you're not an organization, you're not united with your brothers and sisters. If anything happens to me tonight, I call a brother or sister in my party in New York. You understand? If things get rough, we call each other. We decide what spot we're going to get together and go down together at least. But if you're in unity with the people and you don't know who to call, who to turn to, you understand, what is that unity other than an illusion? Brothers and sisters, we're about to conclude. Our task again is to drive you to organization. As a young man, I, come to as a young man, I came to understand the necessity of organization. Malcolm X helped me to see it greatly. When Malcolm X left the Nation of Islam, there was great competition between young groups to pull him. The RAM, the Revolutionary Action Movement, then headed up by a brother known as Max Stanford, now known as Ahmed Mohammed, was fighting to get him. The Student Online Corner Committee was fighting to get him. But Malcolm was assassinated when he was in between organizations, building organizations. I saw that quickly. I said, oh, so they killed him before he got his organizations off the ground. If Malcolm had gotten his organizations off the ground, they couldn't touch him that easily because Malcolm was not a mobilizer, he was an organizer. And so is life that even when they assassinated Malcolm, who was the organizer, because he didn't have organizations in place, and there were so many contradictions in our community that a unified response was not possible, when King the Mobilizer was killed, the unified response was possible. History plays itself out, even if the leaders play themselves out. History will not be denied. I say we will be organized. History cannot be denied. You can either be part of the historical process, come to take the serious task of organizing your people on a day-to-day -day basis, 
Or you can come to the slave every Wednesday night, clap, feel good, jump up, say you were there, and go back and wait till uh, next Tuesday night. <laughs> it's Tuesday night next week, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We must become examples for our people. When they see us organizing, they get organized. Our people are looking for direction. Our people are looking for direction, and the conscious must provide that direction. And the direction the conscious must provide is to make the unconscious conscious of their unconscious behavior. So no master plan is necessary here. None whatsoever. The people are looking for unity. Let's give them unity in united fronts. The people are looking for power. Let's give them organization. The masses want unity. Let's move from mass mobilization to mass organization. We of the All-African People's Revolutionary Party. Always honored to come amongst you of the United African Movement. When we come amongst you, we can talk about things that we can't talk on other levels because the level of consciousness is not the same. When we go to others, we spend our time talking about organization, but on the level we do with you, you are fighters. You are activists. But you must come to mold your struggle together. Every time I come here Wednesday night, I see so many people. I am sure the United African Front has at least some membership of over a thousand, not so. And I'm sure among that thousand, you count at least on 20 who are serious. At least. At least. At least that 20 must come together and begin to move towards organization. We want to tell you, unless our people are organized, we are wasting time. Unless our energies are directed towards organizations, we are going in circles. We must come to organize our people. The All-African People's Revolutionary Party has taken this task upon its shoulder since its inception in 1969 and will not turn it loose for generations. We intend to organize Africans in Africa, Africans in the Caribbean, Africans in South and Central America, Africans in the United States of America, Africans in Canada, Africans in Europe, Africans in Africa into one organization. This is our vision. This is our work. If you think we're crazy, just go for New York. If you think we're out of reach, just go for New York. We're not asking much for you. The United Action Movement should be seen as the movement preaching unity among all the others who refuse to get unity. That's how you'll attract the masses. We're pushing the United African Movement out front. You can speak to your leader. Every time I come here, tell him, he will tell you. Brother Kwame speaks about a lot of things, but the one thing he impresses upon us all the time is uh, African United Front in New York among the organizations. We must learn to live with them. These are just facts. Whether we like the PLC or we do not like the PLC, they are a force, a factor. We must deal with them. Whether we like the United African Movement or not, they're a force, they're a factor, we must deal with them. 
Whether we like the nation of Islam or not, they're a force, they're a factor, we must deal with them. These are just facts. We must deal with material reality. Brothers and sisters, we give you this task this evening. The African People's Revolutionary Party is very weak in New York. New York is a rough area for us. We know the New York police killed Malcolm X. So we know what pigs they are. And we know that if you think you talk about COINTELPRO, if you don't know the local police got a COINTELPRO program, you don't know nothing about COINTELPRO. So the New York police and its COINTELPRO is doing everything to stop our party, but you can't stop revolution. You can kill every revolutionary out there, but you can't stop revolution. This is crystal clear. They killed Zapata over 60 years ago. But the Chipanas are fighting seriously in Mexico today with guns. We want to give the task to the United African Movement. We want you to set a tone in New York. We want you to be known as the movement in New York that is preaching unity among the African organizations. We want you to be known as the movement in New York that is doing everything to give symbols of unity to a people who are begging for it. Our party is not strong enough. Were we strong enough, we would undertake this task ourselves. And every time I've met with your leader, this is exactly what our party has told him. My brother, we're not strong enough in New York to do this task. Were we strong enough in New York, we would carry out the task. But you are strong enough. You're directed to New York. It's your base. You can do this task. We want you to do this task. You must do this task for your people. Because once New York has a united front, the rest of the country will follow just like day after night. And once our people have a united front, organizing the masses is a very simple task because all the organizations now have joint efforts in organizing the masses. So, for example, in New York, we could have a rally with the Nation of Islam, the NAACP, the UAMC, the PLC, and bring them all together, and at the meeting, just ask everybody there to join one of these organizations. But we must have this united front. We promise you that we of the All-African People's Revolutionary Party will never tire. Zionism, we are going to take them on a slow march to protracted death, but they're not going to stop us from uniting our people. No force on earth can do that. Zionism, we will never compromise with them. We are revolutionaries. We are Nkrumah's Tureus. Nkrumah teaches us any compromise of principle is an abandonment of principle. We are revolutionaries. We live by principle. We will never compromise with it. We will fight it until it is destroyed because we know it is the major obstacle to unity of our people throughout the world and here in the United States of America. We give you one last statement on Zionism because sometimes people think that we're just talking and attacking Zionism because we have some special hatred of it. No, 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 no. The special hatred that they have got, they have earned every bit of it every bit of it. It is only when we come strong enough to move around the organizations which are dependent upon Zionist forces, which are controlled by Zionist forces, 
Once we become strong enough, the Zionists themselves will send them to join our United Front to find out what's happening. We must have a United Front. Our party will not stop. We will continue. Already next week we have meetings with people all over the country to bring this United Front into being. We ask the United African Movement to give us the example here in New York. Thank you. Ready for the revolution. I'm dropping on you, so you can listen to me. You can listen to me, I told you. Brother Kwame Touré, let's give him a warm, warm round of applause, Brother Kwame Touré. Brother Kwame Touré, Black Power, Black Power, Black Power, Black Organization, Black Organization, Black Organization. Brother Kwame Touré, we want to thank you very much and let me say that we take your call very seriously and I think that one of the things that is very crystal clear, and we're getting ready to go out of here, but I just want to make this point. I said some time ago that the reason why, for example, that we were able to put more than 20,000 people in the streets, Fifth Avenue and Howard Beach, because for one of the few times we demonstrated an African united front right here in New York because if you go back and examine Howard Beach, Howard Beach particularly, if you go back and examine Howard Beach, all of the different factions came together as one fist. And it was only because the people saw the different factions coming together as one-fifth, one-fifth, that the people themselves came out in numbers that, ex that exceeded all of us. Nobody had those expectations with, that more than 20,000 people would assemble on Fifth Avenue. But the people saw all of us together, and they came out in numbers. And this is the same thing that happened on October the 16th. When the people saw various people together, they came out, and I tell uh, people all the time that we will never be able to have a mass movement until we demonstrate an African United Front. Now, as many of you know, uh, about two years ago, we put a call out for everybody to come to the Slave Theater, and we had more than 50 organizations that came out. Uh, the reason why there wasn't a follow-up, be very frank about it, is because I've always really, uh, I like to stay in the background, be very honest about it. Uh, and so I asked other brothers to continue to call. But so what it indicated to me is that not only are the masses of people ready for it, but even various leaders in this city are also ready for it. And I don't think it would be very difficult to bring us together. And I believe that 
even this particular incident with Time Warner is a catalyst, is an opportunity, again, to bring us together. And so the struggle continues, certainly tomorrow night, but beyond that, to bring all of the forces together, those who naturally allow with us and those who don't naturally allow uh, with us. But the fact of the matter is that we're making the contact, uh, that we're constantly talking to all the brothers and sisters. Uh, in addition to those that you do know, we constantly in contact with uh, Elamay Braff, Sonny Carson, Viola Plummer, and other people because all of them are absolutely necessary. And we certainly hope that one day we can all come together and assemble and deal with the forces of evil that are against us. And so we take that very seriously, Brother Kwame, and hopefully, 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 uh, the next time around, we will be able to give you a good report card. Uh, the incompletes that are now on the report card, we hope that they will be turned into A's and A pluses the next time around. And so we are working on it. We haven't flunked. It's only an incomplete. And we are in a process of evolution that will lead to a revolution. And so we're about to leave here, but I know there are three people who are going to leave here with gifts tonight. And uh, we're going to ask Sister Isis to begin to pick. She's going to choose the third prize first. This is for the third prize. What is the third prize? Hold up. Uh, wait a minute now. Wait, we, I can't do that. I can't do that. All right, I can't do that because, see, she just pulled that. Somebody's going to be mad. Violet Baldwin is going to be mad if I put this one back in. Violet Baldwin. Violet Baldwin. 159 Hollywood Avenue. Violet Baldwin. H. Lehman. H. Lehman. So, Violet Baldwin's third prize. We apologize, but you have to, you have to do it the right way. You have to do it the right way. I asked them to get all this stuff in order beforehand. And second prize, James Bryson. I know where he is. Brother James Bryson, second prize. What is the second prize? I know it. What is it? Huh? CD player. Let's give Brother James Bryson. A warm round of applause. James Bryson. There it is right there. There it is right there. If you don't, if you don't want it, leave it here. I, I can make use of it. All right. First prize. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Well, it's just one name. It looked like Kanji. Kanji, 32 South 3rd Avenue. Sister Kanji, first prize. Kanji Anthony. All right. First prize. Kanji Anthony. And that's a, and that's a pocket 
television, color television, a pocket color TV. I hope she watched something other than the soaps. I hope she watched something other than the soaps. Let us, she's a news reporter, all right. So she can watch herself on television. All right, all right, good enough. Now, we're getting ready to go. Uh, we're asking everybody who can to come out tomorrow night and then next Tuesday night for Brother Steve Coakley here at the Slave Theater. And Steve has told me that he know most of y'all listen to Bob Law on y'all way home. And when you go out there tonight and turn on your radio, Steve said he'll be there waiting for you. That's tonight, 1600 on your dial. Again, let us give a warm round of applause for our brother, Brother Kwame Therese. And let us also, while we do this, because this is important, every time that there's a, a person that we revere, there's always somebody behind that person making sure that things happen. Our brother, Brother David Brothers, let's give him. <laughs> Sister Sandra Lee, who also was very instrumental in driving this brother and making sure that he doesn't have to suffer the iron horse. Sister Sandra Lee, let's give her a big hand. And then all the members of the All African People's Revolutionary Party, let's give them a hand. Thank you very much for coming out tonight and being with us. This is always a, an event, an affair that we look forward to every year. And I think that if you really nail down these concepts, if you really nail down these concepts, you think about what he said tonight very seriously. If you apply these concepts to your actions and to your thinking, I think that we will only be moments away from our liberation. It's just a matter of applying these concepts and not departing from them. We want to thank you again for those gems of wisdom. Thank you very much. And so now we're going to hold hands Repeat after me. We are an African people, robbed from our homeland, robbed of our names, our languages, our cultures, our religion, our selfhood, our nationhood, our womanhood, our manhood, our sisterhood, our brotherhood, our motherhood our fatherhood, and our self-respect. But we shall rise, never to fall again, up the United race. You can accomplish what you will. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. Hug the person again let them know you still love them after all of this because we are an African people. All right, brother, all right.